0: Welcome to the Vape Week Season 2 finale episode pre-show. And uh, so I'll give you a little heads up of what's going to go on today. It's going to be a, a very, uh, I feel very happy and very lucky that I was able to interview Cynthia Cabrera, the former president and chief director, uh, operations director of Safada. Uh, of um which is the smoke-free alternatives trade association a trade association that at the time when she was there had 1100 uh different uh companies associated with it so we'll we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about what she's now working on and i'll give you a heads up uh it's going to be the no on proposition 56 dot i think it's got dot com uh might be org i'm not sure i'll have to check that uh And uh, that is a proposition that will be a ballot measure where, if enough Californians vote, that uh, there could be a Pennsylvania-like tax established on California and dramatically reshape the industry in California and, frankly, the nation. Uh, So uh, that's something that everybody should be working on. And the best way to do that, because it is going to be a ballot measure with voters, is for everybody to talk to their friends and family and ask them to vote no on Proposition 56. And so, as I think I've said in previous episodes, uh, after the after the deeming, after 8-8, uh, this is where the show is going to go. Uh, it's going to be talking about taxes, 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 and this is taxes, and this is going to be a big deal. So uh, she'll talk a little bit about that, and I hope to have her on again uh, later on to talk about that same topic. Uh, The next thing I'll be talking about is, uh, you know, uh, business advice, uh, what people should do uh, at the vape shop level on how to address uh, a lot of wrong information and just really bad legal advice that has been dispensed by various advocacy uh, groups. And here's what some groups have said. They've said that you have to uh, charge uh, to, uh, uh, you have to uh, be a manufacturer to build coils, and that you can't build coils and that's not true. Uh, and uh, there's workarounds and ways to address it even if you believe it's true. Uh, there's no reason to stop building coils if that's your preference. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, sampling, uh, whether or not uh, zero nicotine is a free sample or not. And, uh, and we'll talk about those things. And then uh, lastly, um, no, that's it. That, that's what we'll be talking about. Uh, that's the show. And uh, let me just sidetrack this a little bit into a little B2B. Uh, I've got two different entities, uh, both for-profit. One, trying to uh, to create PMTAs by using a rock soup model. By uh, It's called the Vaping Industry Alliance. And that's trying to get like-minded businesses to work together as a team to lower the cost of PMTAs to get their whole product lines approved. Now what's happened because of the whole 90 days thing uh is that uh, the traction that has gotten uh, has not been significant as as they say uh, i've had a lot of interest in different companies but uh, no no one of them is ready to pony it up so i don't know uh, besides the companies that i've talked to the multiple more than a handful that say we're confident we're going to get past the pmtas besides them Everybody else is claiming that they're not going to do it. For example, Mountain Oak Vapors, uh, you know, Dimitri's company, has said that they have punted the ball and they are going to go out of business as far as making e liquids after two years. So I don't see how this is a. this. This is not a, uh, a position that's in equilibrium with itself. This is out of balance. So it's going to have to come back to equilibrium. Companies are going to have to make PMTA. So I've got a process to try and get people together uh, to try and work on that together. If nobody comes over, uh, it's going to keep on going. And the reason why it's going to keep on going is that I have created Plan B. Plan B is an e-liquid line called, uh, under the the brand, We Vape, We Vote. And that's simply designed to give services to uh, companies, uh, vape shops that is, that, uh, you know, complimentary services, complimentary guidance uh, that... Uh, for just carrying the e-liquid line. There's no minimum purchases or anything like that. And and the e-liquid line, uh, I'm going to do it like a sort of a, a radio model uh, that even though the album has been released and it's available for sale uh, and it's selling, uh what i'll put out in the vape shops is, is just a one hit uh you know just the best one and and hopefully people uh vape shops will carry that and then depending on how much traction this e-liquid is able to generate money will we'll determine who else can be funded uh by this uh what type what will the funding do uh Except it's not an advocacy group, uh, and it's not asking for donations. There won't be any donations. It'll just be uh, vape shops will have one bottle that they can stick on their shelf and say for people to try it. If they if they don't buy it, then that's that. They don't buy it. Uh, but it's a it's a good product, uh, and it's made by uh, one of the best uh, flavor designers in the business. So uh, anyway, uh, what can I say? So the second half of this show is going to be basically giving as much information that I can uh, to vape shops. Now, I don't want to have some sort of big head about this, but there are people that should know what they're doing that are behaving poorly and acting stupidly. And the person that will give an example of that is Kevin from VP Live, who runs a shop, who decided... Uh, to go ahead and change his whole business model uh, not bothering to listen to anybody's shows not bothering to uh, do the research himself as far as uh, listening to the FDA web conference but he took the the information on faith from Safada and uh, it's not the old Safada it's the it's the new Safada which is I still have to say it, it's an empty shell of what it once was. So he listened. Somehow he wasn't keeping track of all that stuff. And he's listened to uh, Safada tell him not to do, you know, to stop building coils. And that's dramatically affected his business. Uh, And his his business numbers have suffered. He's lost dozens of customers. And so I, I don't, you know, I'm going to give you in this show... Advice for how to not be like Kevin and how to not make the same mistakes that Kevin has. That's that's good advice. It's going to be good advice, and 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 because because I'm going to lay it out in in excruciating detail of all the different options, you'll be able to understand what this is. Uh, if you want to contact me uh, for any of this stuff, you can contact me at vapingindustry@gmail.com vapingindustry at gmail.com so what's going to happen with the e-liquid and, and uh you know all of this stuff i don't know but so this is a little b to b uh if you guys want to do something together if if you you know it's is it's a business relationship though i want to make it clear uh there's no donations i'm not accepting donations uh well, well Maybe I'll reconsider that. If if somebody wants to, no, I'm not. I'm not expecting any donations. Uh, but that's the we vape Wevo e liquids are designed as a solution to the lack of participation by e liquid companies to work on the PMTAs. Now, in the long haul, a vape shop needs a wide diversity of flavors. They, they really do, uh, and, and to ke- the vape shop model is what is unique about this industry, and the vape shop distribution model. These are things that, you know, I've studied logistics and marketing and all this other business junk, and we need to compete with big tobacco. That, let me say that again with slightly better uh, pronunciation. We need to compete with big tobacco. They're going to get PMTAs. We're going to get PMTAs. Now, if it goes down to the model, which, uh, where, you know, Mountain Oak Vapors and some of these other companies just give up, just walk away after two years, that is going to present, uh, you know, that each town will have McDonald's, uh, and they'll have multiple mcdonald's and they'll be no different between each other and you know one way is to have exclusives at vape shops now um you know that that's going to be important to, with distributors so without without uh you know without laying it all out uh i am trying to keep that stuff together uh and and trying to get the funding in order to be able to do it, if if people don't work on their PMTAs and and, and what I'm shocked with, and I guess uh, I'll try and wind this up. I'm I'm now hearing people say, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm now hearing Dimitri say that companies are, are he's shaming companies for putting in pmta's because he thinks that's uh, acquiescing to the government and accepting that the you know tobacco will be uh governed by uh you know vaping will be go- governed by the tobacco laws and it's just he's he's plugging his nose blinding his eyes plugging his ears and holding his breath and turning blue as a solution to the fda Uh, It's bad. Uh, So I'm I'm working on all this stuff. Uh, If people want to talk, if e-liquid members want to talk, this is my B2B. I'm closing down the B2B here. I'm sorry about it, guys. Uh, If if manufacturers would like to reach out to me, uh, that's vapingindustry at gmail.com. If vape shops want more information uh, or want to ask me questions, if you have a lawyer and you want to have your lawyer ask me questions... Honestly, I've dug up a lot of this stuff. Uh, and I, and so, again, uh, the carrot that I am holding out, uh, trying to, to motivate myself, is that hopefully I can get e-liquids into your shop and it will be the same or better uh, margins for you than any of your other products. And I'm not going to release a giant line. So there it is. Uh, I've, I've uh, pitched myself. I've hoarded myself. I've, uh, I've sold out. Uh, so... I'll let the rest of the show go. Uh, this is the finale. Welcome to it, and uh, you know, uh, I, I I'm, I've the last three shows I've did prior to this, I, I've been very proud of. So if you've listened to those, uh, I hope, uh, I've hope they've done you well, and I've hope I've helped out your businesses in some way. Uh, I certainly haven't gotten paid for it, uh, but I'm still working at that. Thanks. Bye. Okay. So. Um, welcome to the vape week. This is the finale of the second season and I've got a special guest today and it's uh, Cynthia Cabrera. And, uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Ed.
0: So, uh, I'm not sure if everybody knows who you are, although I think that everybody should know who you are. And, uh, let me see if I can introduce you properly that, uh, you used to be at uh, a company called V2, which, uh, makes V2 SIGs. Um, and, uh, you had some sort of job over there. And then from there, uh, a group started, uh, smoke-free alternative trade association, Safada, and, uh, you took over directorship of that. And we were basically moving all, you know, moving all the levers, doing all the things over in, in that group, uh, as the director. And then subsequently the president, uh, for about three years, um, and then uh, recently some changes have happened. Um, So is that uh, that, that a good way to introduce you?
1: Yeah, you got it mostly right. So I was VP of Compliance and Logistics at V2, and they were one of the founding members of Safada. And so we had a difficult time finding an executive director, so I had to do both jobs essentially. And so I did that for about a year, and finally I just moved over to Safada full-time and recently left
0: yeah and so that's the the elephant in the room um i think uh so i mean i was just uh watching uh some information from uh ironically dimitri uh who went on with this vaping legion and and he was doing a lot of talking and then i've heard some other explanations of of what was going on and and there's I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm confused that there was something with a board fight in regards to HR 2058 and then something where people split off. And then that splinter group created VTA and then VTA uh, wanted to. So, so how, how can you explain it in a way that is quick and, and to the point? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there.
1: Well, in a nutshell, that that actually is right. There was a difference of opinion on the board about addressing some legislative relief strategies, and two of the board members ended up leaving and starting VTA.
0: And so at that point, because uh, there was a lot of discussion, uh, so at the last ECC, which was August of 2015, and there was a lot of stuff. Uh, people talking about, you know, Safada could just implode, and all these different things that, you know, I was hearing from people that, uh, and so I, I, you know, I was not in Safada. So uh, there was just a lot of rumors flying around. So out of whatever the board fight was, is that you became president and director. So you were president of the board and uh, director. Correct.
1: Yes. So I remember ECC last year. It was really, really hot. Um, And actually, you know, so just for context, just so you know, when I got this project, when I was working at V2 and this project got kind of like dumped in my lap, it literally just got dumped in my lap with orders to just like make it work. And there was not a lot of support all the time to make it work, but I did. And for all the years that I worked on Safada, I mean, the idea for Safada came up in, like, uh, 2011, toward the end of 2011. So for all the time that I worked on Safada, I mean, literally from the beginning, from the first, like, meeting that we had about how we would do this, I mean, it was literally just, Cynthia, do this. Cynthia, take care of this. Get this done. Get that done. Get whatever. I mean, I flew to China once to meet with um, some of the people that were, at the time, uh, sponsors, not members, of the organization, to give them like certificates and awards and training and all this for you know supporting Safada in the early days. And it was always just do this, do that, get it done. And every time I would just get it done because that was the job. And you know a lot of important stuff was at stake. But it was just something that kept growing and just kind of like stuff just kept getting heaped on, you know. So back to ECC last year, um, at the time I, you know, it was just still always me and my assistant. And I had only gotten the assistant like that year, last year. Um, and there was all this stuff going on with the board and nobody, I mean, I didn't know what was going on. Nobody was telling me anything. And so the then, the then president decided to leave the organization. And what he did was make appoint me to the board and make me the president of the board And what he said to me was, um, we had this long conversation Friday, October 7th, Um, I'm sorry, Thursday, October 7th, Um, and I remember it because my sister got married that weekend, but we had this long conversation and he's like, you know, this way you'll be able to do your job without interference from the board, and you can just do what you need to do because what's always happened is... like. Every time somebody on the board, you know, if there was some kind of discord or somebody wanted to prove something, the only employee around was me. And so he was like, I'll just make you president of the board and then you can get stuff done. And, and at that point, I mean, the board was pretty much in tatters. So, so are we
0: talking about Phil Damon?
1: He was the president at the time.
0: But that's who you were just talking about, right? Yes. OK, so that sounds like a pretty good deal at least because I guess there were because I it really doesn't matter to me at, at least at, at this point what the what the whole thing was uh, Well actually I'll ask about it but, well then, but uh, you,
2: I'll, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll ask about 2058 because that's supposedly what it was but 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 at least at the end for whatever he did he was he said okay, uh, this is not going the way. Uh, what I'll do is I will walk away from this and will enable you to do the things that you need to do. And that should be a long-term structure that won't get messed up. Because that back when I heard about it, when I heard that you became the president and you were retaining the director, I said, well, good. Now we don't have to worry about any more board fights. It's done with. Where We, we can forget about that stuff. So I thought. Um,
1: it's funny because the weekend that the press release went out saying that I had become, that I had been appointed to the, you know, president of the board of directors, um, we picked up, Safada, not we, Safada picked up like 120 new members, like in the span of like three days, as soon as that announcement went out.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it could, uh, It. Do, what do you think caused that?
1: Uh, I think it just—I think people felt comfortable, like somebody who had been there for a long time would still be there guiding the organization. And so, if they had been on the fence, this was a sign to them that they could, you know, get off the fence and and just, you know, send in their check and support the organization. I'm assuming that's what it was.
0: Yeah, and, and what from from an outsider's perspective, which would be mine, is that, uh, you know, I had, I had attended up. Uh, you know, the fundraisers up in Sacramento, the Safada fundraisers uh, that were going on. So there was that that was getting organized in California. And then I had heard before before August rumblings of just stuff happening with Safada, you know, this, that, and the other. And I couldn't get very much good information. So I'll just assume that the information I was getting is... is to say that other shops and other other people had pretty much the same thing. So I, there was a big, there was just this big giant question mark in the air about Safada, um, you know. And I guess it, it, when when that when you became the president uh, and uh, also the director, I guess that just freed up uh, the sidelines. That's what it sounds like it what happened. So what was the the whole thing with HR 2058? Uh, and this is something I didn't hear or believe existed until about uh, two months ago when I when I started listening to some stuff on uh, this podcast called smoke free radio uh, so what 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 and and don't keep it short uh, it doesn't need to be in great detail what was there something going on with HR 2058
1: yeah there was a philosophical difference of opinion between the board members about whether 2058 should be supported
0: and who was not? Well, what side were, were you in support of? HR twenty fifty eight. Yeah. And yeah, of course, that's what, that's what I would think. So who wasn't in support of HR twenty fifty eight? Because it, how could you not? I don't understand how anybody could not support it. What's the downside? I know it could not work. I mean, it could fail, but why wouldn't you support it? I don't. Doesn't well, make well,
1: it. You want me to keep it short, but it's not a short answer. The answer, I'll try that. The answer is that. Um, The remaining board members, the ones that didn't leave, were concerned that 2058 would turn vapor products into tobacco products and then make it more difficult to sue later um, once the deeming regulations came out and they were awful. And so the other guys that left... We're like, no, 2058 is the only chance we've got, and we need to support it. And we gotta, you know, we'll deal with this other stuff later. And I did speak to one of the attorneys, um, one of Safada's attorneys at Venable, and I did ask him. I was like, what's what's the deal with this? You know, is it actually going to make litigation difficult? And he said, maybe a little bit. He's like, but you know, it gets it moves the predicate date, which is what you need. You know, so it was a question of what do we take and and what do we leave. And by the way, nobody asked me what I wanted to do. So,
0: okay, so this was a board decision at that point. It was this is all going on in the board, and you're still, you know, grinding forward. Uh, So, I I think I heard a different thing. So, everybody that left Safada board members, they all were against HR 2058, or was it a mixed match for
1: 2058? They were for it, the board that stayed was against it.
0: Oh, wow. So I,
1: I, by, just, just so you know, there were like four board members, and then two dropped out, and then there were only two. So,
0: yeah, I, I, I've made jokes on my show before is that whoever updates the Safada website, uh, the pictures, does it faster than the press releases because I, I would follow uh, at that time and. It, over days, it was like there there was five uh, dr- uh, board members, and then it would go down to four, and then it would go down <laughs> to three, and then a new person would pop up, and and it was just it was like a a playing card thing. So this is this is I certainly did.
1: I'm laughing, but let me just tell you that it was such an extraordinarily stressful and difficult time. Like I can't even tell you enough how difficult it was.
0: Yeah, I I can imagine. And and what you just said, I just learned something that I definitely didn't know before. So, uh because I've heard Dimitri, the only person I've really heard explaining what's happened is Dimitri. And so um and he. I'm not
1: sure how Dimitri would know any, you know, inner well, details or anything. He, well, he
0: he went on uh there's a a group called the Vaping Legion and and a podcast was put out uh, I guess it was sa- Saturday or Sunday. It was Sunday. Sunday it was put out there, and it's about an hour and 40 minutes long. And I've listened to it. I caught the very end of it, and then I've skimmed through other parts. So there's some things, uh, questions I want to ask you about in there. But uh, so he's explaining why the TSFA had left and things like that. But so what had happened was that. Uh, there were some people that were in support of HR 2058 and others, and everybody were only talking about the board and not you, and they never asked you. But there were some people that agreed with HR 2058 and then some people that did not agree with it. And people out of both buckets left Safada. However, the people that remained on the board in Safada were people that were against HR 2058. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the only board members left standing before any, you know, significant changes were made were Phil and Glenn. Um, and then Phil decided to step down and appoint me to the board of directors. And so for a while it was just me and Glenn. Um, and you know, I think Glenn, like Phil had this philosophical issue with 2058 and whether, you know, voluntarily declaring, a vapor product to be a tobacco product was going to be an issue you know if that's what we really wanted to do as an right
0: initiative. but in the mix of the board members that left at that time it was not a homogeneous group there were some that left and they were for hr 2058 there at least one it sounds like right
1: yeah there were I there was there, there were,
0: was at least there, one there, there <laughs> so i was just saying because i don't need because i don't know all these names but but There were, there was two, two camps, one that was for HR 2058, one that was against it. Phil was against it. And then Phil was for or against HR 2058.
1: Against.
0: Okay. So he, he, uh, he left, but there were some people that left that were, were board members, but were actually for HR 2058. But they yeah. just – they left in the whole process. It, was, it wasn't it was like there was one group that stayed and one group that left. The group that left was of – it was egg and yolk. It was not just one or the other. So so then uh, it sounds but like this, what but, – But to be
1: clear, I mean there were six board members, two left to go form VTA. All of them, the difference of opinion was they were concerned about what was better for the vapor industry. And so they took these separate routes – And rather than work it out, you know, or they couldn't work it out, whatever, um, this is what happened. So the four board members that were remaining were the ones who, you know, were not rushing to support 2058 just yet. And then that ended up being only two board members.
0: So it's to me, it sounds like Phil, as they say, did a solid by saying, "Okay, I understand what's going on here and I'm going to put it in your hand, Cynthia. So he, he handed you the football and said, okay, you're going to run with this thing. I'm not going to be in your way. So is that fair to say that, that he... It won- is. Yes. It is. So that's good because uh, I did not have that. Uh, I didn't really understand that uh, to be the case. I, I, again, I'm, I'm only looking at this from the outside. So, uh, So then... To, to what I'll make a comment here is that it doesn't make sense for people to be worried about H.R. 2058 changing the implications of how vapor products are considered by the federal government. Because in the amicus brief that was sent in uh, on the Soterra case, there is a large group of people, including uh, Bill Godshall and then uh, a group that Julie Woosner used to have and also Casaw and a whole bunch of uh, Dr. Siegels and other people, I think Nitskin too, that they all said that vaping was a tobacco product, asserted that to the court. And they also said that the Tobacco Control uh, Control Act of 2009 was a law that can regulate it. And so all of that happened as, as predating all of this stuff in 2015. So... I don't see the the real big danger um and and what I the reason why I'm saying that is because the highest appellate of the of the court of the land upheld that decision and essentially validated the amicus brief which they ruled in favor of it was so I don't I think to unwind it would be very 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 difficult however fixing the predicate date is still possible so HR2058 is a great thing if it can, if it can work, but I don't see any downside to it, not at all. What
1: I will say is that Phil and the two board members that left, it seemed to me, were all acting on the strength of their convictions, whatever they were.
0: Right, and and so that to to me, if he if he had a position, there was a fight, uh, and then. He he then handed the ball over to you and said, "I'll I'll you know, I, there's something called disagree and commit uh, in that's uh, you know uh, in meetings and stuff when people have arguments within the same team and some people they'll, they'll disagree they're, they're adamant but at a, at a time when a decision needs to be made everybody has to get behind it. So even though Phil couldn't totally get behind it, he got behind it by saying. Here's the ball, I'm out of here, run with it. So that to me that's a good thing. That's that's a that's a fair way to play play the hand. So so anyway, from here then uh what happened that was all in you said I think uh October uh is when the when that final stuff happened. Yeah. Uh so from there, um, I think about that same time I was contacted by Tony Abund, uh or uh, uh abode. Uh, how do you say his last name, Tony oh. uh, A booed. He contacted me. He actually wanted me to give uh, this name that I have with Vaping Industry Alliance. He wanted to use that for the thing. What uh, name? Yeah, because it comes out to V. I I picked it for a reason. Uh, But... So I, I was like talking to him saying, you know, uh, let, let's get together, let's do some stuff. And, and, you know, I had two phone calls and, you know, a couple hours. And then at the end, it turned out that all he wanted was the name and that's <laughs> it. So I said, well, no, I'm not, I'm not just going to give it to you. I, I think I did offer to sell. He said, well, do you have a price tag you want to give me? But there was no price tag. Uh, but, uh. But so, so that happened. And then I didn't hear anything from VTA for months and months and months. So, Safada was doing its own stuff. And I think that there was a lot of, uh, the board was filled up with representation from the different uh, state groups. So people like uh, Andrew Osborne and and other people got voted into the board, right?
1: Well, just for context, since we're talking about Safada, I mean, So when Safada first started, there were three founding companies, right? And one of them was V2, one was Johnson Creek, and the other one was Green Smoke. Johnson Creek had to drop out almost immediately because they had a conflict. It was out of their control. They couldn't do anything about it, and they had to drop out, but always very supportive, you know, from the sidelines. Um, But the initial funding or assistance that – safada got or some of it anyway some of it came from v2 and some of it came from these um chinese companies and they were chinese companies that were vendors to v2 and so they were very helpful but at the beginning they were sponsors they weren't members they were sponsors and so on the old if you use the wayback machine and you go look at the old safada website you'll see that the chinese companies were listed as like sponsors and they had these seals you know so so silver or gold or whatever. And it was based on whatever amount, you know, they had committed to the organization or whatever. And then the following year, they had to change the internal structure of the organization. And to do that, they had to account for these Chinese companies. And so they created a category of membership called foreign members. And so then they kind of like, you know, fell into that. And so they had these foreign members and then, It wasn't until a year or two after that, I think another year after that, that state chapters were even discussed and like the board had to approve having state chapters. The reason that I bring all this up is because Safada had to evolve from what it first was. I mean, I think when it first started, the dues were like a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it was like a lot of money and that had to change. that was another decision made, you know, to capture, to decide to capture like the retail market. And so the pricing was changed dramatically, but it's never stayed exactly the way that it was. And it was always evolving. And the, the internal structure and the membership was always changing, you know, um, one day when I get some time and I write my book, I'll just lay it all out there in detail.
0: Hopefully, uh, you know, through this interview that they're, they're because this stuff is now static, I, I, a lot of this is now just water under the bridge. But because of the way things have happened, I think it's I think it's good that that I'm able to to get some of the stuff uh, that that you're going to answer some of it. Um, so let me just try to. So the this, the board was was the, that that. Um, so then at that point, the people that remained on Safada on the board were against HR twenty fifty eight. Is that true?
1: Um, there was Except- only one. More- I'm sorry.
0: I was about to say, except for you.
1: Right. There was only one other person besides me. And he had been part of the group that was not sure they wanted to support 2058. And again, you know, they had a philosophical difference of opinion about what this would do or not do. So, yes, it was when it was just me and one other board member, half of the board was part of the original group that wasn't sure whether 2058 was the right thing to do or not
0: okay so besides HR 2058 there was there there doesn't seem to be any philosophical difference between VTA and Safana
1: no I mean if the goal is to have the if the stated goal is for the vapor industry to survive and innovation to continue and it's funny because Jan from v2 was the one who coined that term he uh, access to innovation access to the products and access to innovation or continued innovation that was him he used to say that all the time. And my understanding is that, you know, that's VTA's goal and it was always Safada's goal. So, yeah, they are aligned. How they get there, you know, they can take different paths.
0: Right. So with with that going forward, I mean, then all the stuff that was going on with um, with the uh, OMB uh, was, was, I think, very important. Because wh- the next spot where I saw that, you know, so VTA contacted me back in i think it was it might have been july it was july of of uh of 2015 uh so it was before it was it was certainly before ecc it was at least a month before ecc uh that i was being contacted so it was forming back then um and uh that was tony that had contacted me so that that goes forward and so then I didn't see them anywhere for months and months and months. Uh, and it seemed like there was stability in the advocacy realms, uh, because of, uh, that you were, you know, the, the board and the director were now the same. So there was cohesion, there was unified purpose, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then the next thing where they sort of appeared, uh, is when this Cole Bishop thing was put through and, I think it was almost at the exact same time that it was being proposed, and and I didn't see any of the, uh, any of the stuff. Nobody got to see what they were proposing until that actual hearing that took place, and then I saw different things in that hearing that other people didn't see. When when Cole said that it would have the ability to address flavors as a class system, so that that that's the next time that VTA appeared. But w- when when that was forwarded on with the two Democrats that signed on with the other Republicans uh, to make it a bipartisan thing. What, what VTA was saying was that this was the first legislative win by the vaping industry ever in Washington, D.C. And that bothered me because I was aware at that time of all the efforts that took place with the OMB. Uh, and then I was also aware that the OMB Uh, was delivered from the FDA a document that said, we're going to ban flavors. And the OMB, after listening to all of the people that Safada got into that meeting, including myself, uh, those meetings, uh, that uh, they lined those things out. So I think that was a tremendous victory. And I don't think if there wasn't a national organization that was organizing and getting everybody in, that that would have happened. Um, I, I,
1: d- I, agree. I I busted my butt to you know get the messaging out there and encourage people, and I cannot tell you the number of calls I got, personal calls you know on my cell phone, from members and non-members saying, "Do I really need to make this trip to OMB?" And every time my answer was, "Yeah, you do." I mean, and I helped people edit their presentations. I people read me their stuff. I mean, it, we just it was a lot of you know coordination and getting that done, but it was vitally important.
0: Yeah, and, and Dimitri had just said uh, in this interview that I heard, he said that he assumed that there was 500 companies that showed up. Now it was not 500. Uh, it was probably closer to 100. Uh, and the way I know that is that I kept track of the schedule, the, the calendar, where you could see who was going. And then also because there was such a flood of people that were, were going to these meetings that the OMB had to come up with a new way to address how many companies were at, uh, going so they set up three blocks for multiple vendors so in those three blocks about 20 vendors went each time so that was about 60 uh, and i actually was able to attend all of those because i've got sort of um I've got decent relationships with the FDA, and and uh, I use those to uh, ask for. I, I used my pretty pleases uh, to be able to attend all those meetings, so I, I got to hear what they said, and it, it was compelling. Um, there was one woman that that cried there, uh, and it was a good cry. I mean, it was it was it it was a good one. Um, and so I, I think that the OMB heard very loudly, and and so it was. Because I participated in that, and I know who else did, it, it was distasteful for me to hear that VTA was claiming that they came uh, with another go around on, on the appropriations bill because it was done the year be- before uh, and that this go around was the first win. Um, and I, 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 that, I just found that very distasteful. And, and I thought it discounted the work of Vapors uh, and, and businesses before before them. So uh, from there, um, then 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 it was this – I'm just not sure what was going on with th- – that I was at this point, I think, trying to start up to get everybody to standardize to one group. But there was then became – I think all of the TSFA members uh, became the first 70 members of VTA. So VTA put out a press release saying we now have 70 members, and I think that was just TSFA signed on. Do you know, uh, do you have any information on that?
1: Uh, well, I don't know how, you know, I don't look at VTA's membership records, um, but if they bring, when, when TSFA um, was a member of Safada, they counted as one member because they were their own organization and because the way that Safada had it structured was that if an organization was a member their members could, you know, get the dis- the discount to attend conferences and stuff like that, but the organization could vote as one person, you know, it was just one vote as opposed to seventy people getting to vote or something. And giving an example, that's the that's the easiest one, um, without having paid member dues into Safada. Although the organization did pay Safada as an organization. If V, I mean, I don't know how VTA's membership works, but if they, you know elect to take in those 70 members from that one organization as 70 separate members, well, that's a fast way to grow their numbers.
0: Right. And so, so then it became roll rolling out. And then I started to, what what I saw is that multiple people were saying that the, that the language in the Cole Bishop had the ability to control flavors. And that was obviously uh, this was actually before uh, we got information from the, from the FDA that they had actually lined out these things. So the fact okay. that the FDA had actually attempted very, very strongly to ban flavors uh, puts a little bit more of it in context, at least in my mind, because uh, the chairman, a guy with white hair, I'm just uh, reviewing this in my head right now, he had said that the FDA has indicated that they want okay. to uh, ban flavors. Uh, something along that lines, and so I think that that the chairman of that had had a little bit of insight that the FDA was actually at that time moving against flavors, so that the fact that the OMB knocked it off, which I consider a big Safada win, and, and thanks to you as well, uh, that uh, that 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 took place there. So. At that point, I heard that stuff with flavors and then I looked at some of the other language and I was aware of TFN, which is tobacco-free nicotine, which has a a way to say that they are not part of these regulations. And what is inside the Cole Bishop Bill is a new way of regulating vapor products. And then it regulates vapor products based off of tobacco. I'm sorry. It regulates vapor products based off of nicotine only completely independent of any source is the way it's written in that. So it would change the FDNC act uh, from, from changing uh, from regulating it based off of tobacco and, and making it just on nicotine itself. Um, so to, to me, that was a, a major, uh, major problem uh, in there. So, so I guess it, it ping pong back and forth. And then I, I, li- I did a lot of due diligence uh, on Tony Abund and, you know he was involved with this whole resco thing and blogovich uh and donations from uh tony boone that were given to president obama as a candidate uh he had to he had to f- donate those to charity uh because of problems with that and then the governor who was a friend of tony's uh refused to go to his house for a fundraiser it was this is all in the chicago papers back then and uh, there was just a, just a lot of stuff going on there, and and because this Resco, uh, which Tony Abund was individual Q in in the court filings, because all of this stuff, I thought it would be a really bad experience for a congressman to have Tony walk up to them and say, "I would like you to do this for me as a lobbyist," with with that sort of track record. Now that that's how my concern with vta is i thought that their their leadership had tremendous liabilities um so from for, so then there, there was just you know the the community the vaping community has been very concerned about how many uh organizations there have been cuz you've got you've got vista well actually it turns out that vista just just vista was competing with Safada to to generate lobbyists and that that Visto is is done by Kevin Skipper and uh, and Dimitri. so they were they were trying to to do stuff with lobbyists uh, and then setting up smoke free associations in various states that already had Safada chapters like Massachusetts, uh, and then there's uh, you know we've got the AVA, you've got these other groups, you have got CASA, you got you got just all these different groups, so there was this big splintering going on. And then I th- I was attempting as much as I could to say let's just decommission some of these other ones and fold them in because I don't see I didn't see a big difference between them all, so that was my plan, uh, trying to get that going, uh, and and everything was seemed to be okay, and then out of the blue, uh, at least to me, uh, you left Safada, what well, before that, I, I I know exactly where that is, but so that's that's where we're going to go. Uh, but Dimitri has been saying these other things. He was saying that, uh, that there was big Chinese donors that didn't have their names on websites. Is there, what, can you explain what that is?
1: Um, well, <laughs> uh, I can't even imagine what Dimitri – and this is not a knock on Dimitri – I, I, Dimitri or anybody else would know about what was on Safada's website or wasn't on Safada's website, you know, four years ago. Like who would know that? I mean, and so I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, if anybody ever wants to know what was going on at Safada, all they have to do is ask me. Um, And I, you know, this industry, I love this industry and I've never seen like... Gossip and misinformation grows like weeds in this industry. It's just—it's unbelievable. Um, every Chinese member that was supposed to have their logo on the site always had their logo on the site. I mean, and that—you know—end of story. I mean, I'm not going to get into, you know, how Safada.
0: So, managed. okay. So, so the other thing that that he said is that, uh, and this didn't make sense to me when he said it. He said that, his, that the TSFA membership lapsed, that they stopped paying their dues, and then uh, so they no longer at that point became a, uh, were a member of Safada, and somehow they were blaming you for that occurring. Can you say anything to that?
1: That they didn't renew their membership?
0: That's what he said. They didn't renew their membership. And then he was complaining that they were not notified that they were their membership had lapsed or something like that.
1: Well, well, it, <laughs> I mean, I don't work at a anymore, but I know that when we look at looked at QuickBooks, everybody who had paid was set up to get an automatic renewal And I'll tell you that one of the challenges at Safada was always that people would get their renewals and then kind of ignore them for two or three months. And, you know, people would have to call them and send emails and that kind of thing. And aside from me, we only had an administrator. And so first we had a a woman named Diane and then we had Robert. Um, And so they would do it. So I was not in charge of following up on whether somebody had paid their dues or not. Because we had an admin doing that. So, but I do know that Dimitri has my cell phone, as do many, 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 many people. And so any issues could always be, you know, addressed to me. And I'll tell you that last year, I think it was in 2015, I mean, I was with the Tennessee smoke-free people in Washington, DC, because that year, last year, Safada decided to do a bunch of mini fly-ins instead of one big one. And so I was there and we were all, we were hanging out at the bar together and I went on all the meetings with the TSFA and I mean, I didn't hear anybody, you know, I didn't hear anything about it. So, I mean, could it have happened? Sure. Did somebody bring it to my attention? Not, no, but maybe they brought it to to the admin's attention. I don't know.
0: Is but, a fly-in a normal thing? I mean, I, it, the first time I ever heard of this fly-in, where where Safada started bringing in people over the years, multiple years, multiple states, uh, that they bringing them in there, and they they uh, you know they they set up all these meetings with all the, these things, and then it's basically like a tour guide that everybody gets to go in, and and they you know they they hit their their senators and their congressmen. Is that like a normal thing in the toolbox? Uh, yeah. Actually, all industries
1: conduct fly-ins, you know, of one sort or another. And so basically a fly-in is where you're, you know, it's a value add for your members where you take them and they get training. And some of the the bigger organizations that are, you know, better funded, they'll do a dinner with, you know, elected representatives being, you know, speakers and, you know, or they'll have, let's say, 20 tables for all their members. So, you know, 10, uh, 20, t- 20 rounds of 10s. And so at each of those 20 tables, there'll be, you know, some elected official and all the members can like change tables and speak to all of them and
0: they do them. Re- I mean, they can be a really big deal, really big deal. No, I mean, I think, I think it works. I mean, it, it, it is, totally it's a, it's a fantastic thing. It's just that it's not something, you, it's not something I, I would have thought of myself. Okay. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, so it's, good. I mean, it's very good. It's, it's something I've always been happy that, that Safada was doing, even though I didn't fly to Washington on any of them. It was like this is good. Yeah. um so there there was also something going on with uh with that Dimitri was saying that uh VTA, because even though uh Dimitri insists that he's not the head of VTA, which he certainly isn't, um, most of the time we're uh VTA is a very closed uh, private trade association. Uh they, they don't have any of their press releases on their website you have to go to Dimitri's uh, webpage to see it they don't even post them all on their own Facebook so yeah ha- the the press releases that they put out you have to it's like they're handed between people it's it's kind of they're secretive for some reason and and the only places I've ever seen Tony Aboon talking is when Dimitri is there at the very same time like they did a, a show on White Cloud together and they've done some other stuff so uh, what was my question it was uh, Oh, damn, blanked on it. Uh,
1: well, the... I will tell you, while you remember your question, that in 2015, Safada did, instead of doing the one big fly-in, they just broke it up into multi-state ones um, over the months, and the point of that was to keep up awareness and pressure about Cole Bishop.
0: Right, and this I, I do remember that, uh, which was uh... – it, it, that that was at the same time when Dimitri was going up into Massachusetts to set up the smoke-free association in Massachusetts. And then Dimitri went on to his podcast and, mm-hmm. and then had the guy from Massachusetts. I think his name was, uh, uh, Jamie, uh, that, uh, that, that he was saying how they were so terribly disappointed with the safada lobbyist. And they were so immensely comfortable mm-hmm. with the Vista approved lobbyists. So, mm-hmm it was frustrating to me because it's such a small state. You don't need two organizations. And I can't imagine that HR 2058 was a difference between those two groups. So there, there's a lot of frustration. I've talked to, to, you know, e-liquid manufacturers and, uh, vape shops that say that they have dedicated dollars that they've set aside to advocacy, but they are keeping it on the sidelines until they figure out where they can put it, where it just won't be absorbed into nothingness. Um, So I know that, 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 that that's a problem. My my question was, what, what's the story uh, with Dimitri saying that there, that the VTA splinter group or whatever the hell we're going to call it, got a hold of the old safada lobbyist why And, and it seems like it's weird that you'd have a lobbyist kind of shooting arrows at its own as its previous employer i've never heard of anything like that can you say anything to that or should it just leave it at what i just said
1: well i mean listen i i just want to be clear about something so the the lobbyist that VTA has is the used to be the lobbyist for Safada, and when the old board, the previous board that Phil was on, um, they decided to let that lobby firm go, you know, to terminate the agreement. After the other two board members left to go form VTA, and that being said, I will tell you that that previous that um, lobby firm, I loved working with them they were wonderful people. And I will tell you that Brittany Cushman, um, and Ashley from the lobbying firm and myself worked so well together. I mean, we would talk almost every day and, you know, we had this really good vibe going and everything was really good. Everything was awesome. And I will tell you that, you know, being at Safada when all this change was going on and the board was splintering and then suddenly the lobbying firm was gone and Brittany, which who was somebody that I depended on quite a bit, um, she was gone, you know, and all this. And it was like a lot of upheaval, but I will tell you that Brittany, myself, and Ashley, as a matter of fact, our emails would go out and it would be ABC because it was Ashley, Brittany, Cynthia. And that was how we wrote our emails, ABC, blah, 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 you know, whatever, Um, but I mean, it was really, they, I mean, I loved working with them. They were terrific. So
0: what Mm -hmm. happened to the, why did Safada part ways with them?
1: I was not part of that decision. Who was? Uh, the board.
0: And who was on the board at that time?
1: Oh, I think it was Phil and Glenn.
0: Okay. So it's Um, predated. It predated what I'm just using as my own marker in my head. It was, it predated ECC 2015, is when yeah. that lobbyist left. Yes. And so...
1: I them terribly.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, so... Mike
1: Hogan is a super-duper guy, wonderful guy, blue-chip lobbying firm. Um, they've got some of the biggest, uh, the, the current lobbyists that Safada has. I mean, that that group, Alpine Group, has some of the largest um, companies in America You know, they represent Nike, they represent Intel, Walmart, I mean, just huge companies. So they're no joke. I mean, they're like the real deal.
0: Yeah, and then then it's uh, guilt by association. So when you knock on a congressman's door and they they say, oh, you're from Alpine Group, you represent these big mega corporations. Uh, And, oh, you're here to talk to us about – uh, the, 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 these little tiny vapor guys. Okay, yeah, I guess we're gonna listen to you with a little more authority if, if they if you guys have their back, you know. So it's good. It's good to be associated with with much, with people with. Uh, it's good to be with the deeper pockets when you have a lobbyist. So that's a good thing. Okay, so that's that's with the lobbyists. So, um, uh, I think I understand that. Um, and so, I guess where I think, oh, I guess there's one other thing is that, uh. Dimitri on this show on Sunday accused you of blackmailing the Chinese, <laughs> and and I would say I would say it in a different way, but he said blackmailing.
1: Um, oh, okay, wait. I, right. I I
0: can I might be able to get you the sound clip if you need it.
1: No, no, thank you. Um, I mean I will listen to it, but. Okay, I don't know. We're spending an awful lot of time on Dimitri for some reason. but I... The
0: reason why I think is that the communication out from VTA is being channeled through Dimitri as a matter of fact. Whether they say that there's an official tie or not, but the communication that VTA is doing, you do not see Tony – in the community. You do not see him uh, at uh, shows for the most part. Uh, He might've been at one in Chicago, but you don't see him. So the person that is talking for VTA and, and is saying that people should join it for the most part is Dimitri. So that's, that's the real reason, but going back to, and, and I'll be real serious again, is that he said that you were blackmailing the Chinese and, and the way he phrased it was uh, that if, if, they did not come on to Safada that you were going to tell their members to stop buying their products. It was a real quid pro quo type of threat in your blackmailing is what he was. He was alleging uh, in public that you were doing.
1: Okay. Um, First of all, I doubt highly that anybody at VTA, Brittany or Tony or anybody would ever accuse me of blackmail. That's, that's for starters. Um, because they're just not like that um, so and I, I I have a hard time <laughs> believing that Dimitri would accuse me of blackmailing somebody I mean that's the kind of stuff you sue people over right I mean
0: you no, know what I mean, I, I mean it, it's like, you're not a public figure is the thing. And so I I was surprised to hear it.
1: I I have a company and I have a reputation and you would, I mean, to accuse somebody of blackmail, you'd have to be able to prove it. What I will tell you is this, the vapor industry is hugely divided. And I know that there are a lot of people that hate trade associations. And I have to say, now that I'm gone from safada, I do. I mean, I keep doing my work in the vapor industry and I knew that I could do a lot of good, more good for the vapor industry on my own. So I'm totally happy with that decision. Um, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of people that thrive off of divisiveness. I, I imagine, you know, some people might say that about you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, there are a lot of people that want you to pick a side. And, you know, if you're not on, on their side, then you're on the wrong side and they're going to take you down or whatever. And there's no such thing as just letting people be and letting organizations be and whatever. So, but I will tell you that there was an email that went out from a particular Chinese company and it was brought to my attention by um, a Safada member, Amy um, from Wyoming, very nice lady. She brought it to my attention and it was this email and basically what it said was um, that they were, you know, it was after the regs came out and that they were going to support, you know, the industry and they were going to do everything that they could and that they were going to put, they were going to donate money to the only organizations that had ever done anything for the vapor industry. And Safada was not listed there. So as executive director, I will tell you that I was very annoyed by this and I forwarded a copy of it to the board and I let them know that I was really aggravated about this. And I waited like two days. Um, And I sent an email and I said, I'm dismayed to see that you would say something like this, that Safada has, you know, never supported anything when we've been around longer than anybody. And, you know, happy to share the accomplishments with you. Um, I said, however, if, you know, you want to say something like that, then I, you know, it will be within our rights to let our members know which organizations, which companies support Safada so that they can make a decision about who they want to support, which is exactly the same thing as when everybody tells retailers or, or manufacturers, tell your customers, you know, find out if they, if they belong to an organization, who they support, and if they, you know, if they support who you want or if they support an organization, then support those companies exactly the same thing. That's not blackmail. First of all, blackmail is illegal, which is, it's also saying that, is slander also opens the door for, I mean, I don't own a big business in this industry, but I, you know, I mean, if somebody were to slander somebody and they have something to lose, you know, they have a lot of assets. I mean, that's just not a door you wanna open. So for the time being, I'm gonna pretend that there's no way Dimitri would say something like that. I mean, you know, Dimitri recorded a safada meeting that we asked not to be recorded. He recorded it, he played it on his show, we let it go, I went on his show, tried to be supportive, and the whole thing, and I don't have anything against Dimitri. You know, this whole industry has played out in this like weird way. And now that I'm not, you know, part of a trade association, I just want to do my thing and help the vapor space, you know? Right. And so um,
0: uh, I'll just address, I understand what you're saying. So, uh, but I'll just address one of the things that you're saying about me is that I, I certainly do not thrive or want to see. Uh, I know, did not
1: say that you do.
0: I know. But you said that some might see that I, that might think that. So uh, let me just address that, that w- one of my favorite classes in college was uh, taught by Elliot Aronson, who wrote the book The Social Animal, which is one of the researchers that did the Stanford Prison Experiment, and he was really big on straight talk uh and and just saying the things and getting them out there. There was also a movie called Secret and Lies, uh, which is about a family with uh with that had uh you know a pregnancy and, and all this different stuff uh and and the whole family was absolutely dysfunctional trying to keep it all their secrets together and not actually just saying it and and in that movie when they just said everything, when all of the the past relationships and who was the father of the baby and all that other stuff came out that, that the family just, you know, dealt with it finally and just so I I well that's one of the reasons when, when I have my shows I, I will say people's names because let's just get it out and get done with it and then we'll be able to at least then deal with reality so that's I'm not afraid of drama but I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to spark up fights I would I want to put it out you know I guess you live in Florida which is the sunshine state which has the sunshine laws which believes that you know sunshine is the, the best disinfectant and that's kind of I also agree with that except there's crazy people in florida I, I don't know how you live there
1: yeah we 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 do have the crazies here it's true we so, always joke like if, if something weird happens in the world there's a connection back to florida
0: oh yeah uh and the last one i think the the when christine grimmie got killed yes. that, that's that's the one that's the, <laughs> la- the like the last straw for me that that should yeah. never happen. Uh, so, yeah so so i guess we're at the point of um you left Safada, uh, and, and, and I want to wind this down too. So, uh, how, why did you, what was the process of leaving Safada? Here's what I believe that I know is that the board met without you, and that, uh, which is, I, don't, I think, in normal board rules, you know, rules of incorporation, that the board should not meet without the mm-hmm. board president. And if they're going to do that, I think you have to say we're going to do this without you. But the board met, they and Cap and O'Rourke and Shell Hamill took a vote, or, or somehow the vote was taken, and that the next thing they delivered to you uh, is that you were, you were no longer president because the, all of this secret coup d'etat board meetings took place without you, and they handed you uh, that you're no longer president. Is that accurate?
1: What I will say is that the board, without me, took a series of, made a series of decisions. And when they shared the process by which the decisions had been made and what they had done, um, I made the decision that my time at Safada was up.
0: Right. So so from from my perspective, is that in ECC 2015, there was a shakeup and then it was fixed and it was given a long term cemented solution. And Phil Damon uh, did everybody solid and said, okay, here's the ball, Cynthia, run with it you know, you won't at least have to deal with a board fight again. And and that's how I felt about it then. And then back in 2016, one month into to where the deeming uh, at you know, the 90 days, you know, everybody knows the 90 days, 30 days into the 90 days, Safada somehow is deciding it'd be a great time to be messing with the president. And it, that outraged me. Uh, I guess that's the only way to, to express it. And so uh, I think I think that's that the board told you that. They met and then they told you that and then you left, right? I think you just said that. And then the next communications that I saw out from Safada is that you are still going to be working on Safada. So
1: I'm are, not working on
0: Safada. But the communications said that you would still be uh Still be doing stuff that I'm just saying, that I'm not that's not a question, that's what the communications out. Oh, oh,
1: oh, sorry,
0: yeah. That, I mean, they were communicating that they were negotiating out, and that was that was put out to everybody. Um, so I guess that you're saying that 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 part, uh, you severed all oh, the, the easiest way to ask the question is, when did you sever all ties with Safada?
1: The day that I said I was leaving. The day that I said I quit, it was the first Monday in June.
0: So the first Monday in June is going to be essentially, it's exactly where I thought it was. Uh, the The rules came out on May 5th. Uh, they then were delivered officially on the 10th. And then the first thing, so night, just right in there, 30 days and after they, they thought they'd be just messing around with the board. And then, and then I've seen communications out from Safada after you left where they're talking about the importance of that they're going to work on bylaws and they they were saying that vendors were upset that uh, different emails were not, uh, uh, sorry, different placards of businesses were not on the Safada site. So I just went, while I was talking, went over to the Safada site and you were still listed as the executive director. So I'm just going to say that I'm definitely not wrong that, Safad has been communicating out that you would still be assisting them in this whole time period. So that's been the marketing out to the public, uh, the idiots like myself that you were still in somehow working with them, but that's no, not the case.
1: That is not the case.
0: All right. Um, so I guess, um, you know, at this point what it says is that, uh, Kappa Rourke, which is a person I, I,
1: I'm actually surprised that my picture is still on the website.
0: It's not I just mean, your picture. It's it's the letter from the executive director. It, it it gives and at the end it says please join us on this adventure it's going to be quite a ride. So uh, even even yeah, people
1: I'm surprised any of that is still up on the website, you know. I oh, mean, what we is. all have, I think what all the Pete what we all share in the vapor space, I mean, you know, when I decided, when I made my decision to leave Safada, I was very clear in my head that this is what I needed to do. I had the strength of my convictions, and I assume that Safada did as well, which is why it surprises me that my info would still be up there.
0: Yeah, and I was very frustrated with, with, uh, I mean, another board member uh, uh, resigned somewhere along this, which was uh, Andrew Osborne. I, I just don't... I think that the, the timing was absolutely horrific uh, because it left it had VTA coming in and and trying to assert itself, uh, and then VTA people explaining that the difference between VTA is uh, is HR twenty fifty eight and Cole Bishop, and then Cole Bishop hearings are all taking place right before the deeming you know the final rule drops, and then and then you know the leadership of Safana has gone and and it just. Uh, for, for me, I was trying to get everybody to rally to one. Then Safana gets blown up as much as I can tell. Uh, uh, Cap O'Rourke and then uh, Shell Hamler, the president and, and the, uh, the vice president, they're not communicating out very well. And in the places that they are communicating, uh, they're saying, I, I mean, I watched Cap O'Rourke uh, and he said that w- when companies come to him asking him how they should deal with the regulations and the PMTAs, he says that they should just get boxes. And pack up their businesses, and that there's nothing that can be done. And, and supposedly they're saying that the only thing is the legislation and the only thing is the uh, the lawsuits. And uh, I sorry, I'll say it one more time. Dimitri has put the odds of both of those at, at 5% each on that last broadcast. So I'm very concerned about um, Just the effects of all this. So, so here we are. We're here today. Uh, That's that's kind of what happened. I think. Is there anything else uh, that you would like to say about Safada and you? And before we talk about what you're doing now.
1: Um, Well, no. I mean, I just just to wrap up. I left Safada, but I didn't leave the vapor industry. I mean, and listen, nothing lasts forever, and. I, you know, I never regretted my decision to leave, not even once, which is very telling. So like I never second guessed myself at all. Um, but the fact of the matter is I didn't leave the vapor industry. I adore this industry. I mean, I, I just consider myself so lucky to be part of it every single day. And I gave safada 110% of everything I had every day. And I mean, there were days where, You know, I was just absolutely overwhelmed. I didn't have a vacation. I took a vacation in twenty thirteen, and then took another one this year. Um, And I just, Greg Connolly made a joke one day, and he was like, "You need to learn how to take vacations." He's like, "You just add on a day to one of your trips." You know, whenever you go on a trip, you just add on a day, and that's a vacation day. He's like, "That's how you do it." And I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll make a note." Um, But it was. Are you you traveling?
0: Are you traveling with your husband?
1: No. So Thank then you.
0: it's then then it's not the same thing at all because <laughs> you're 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 you're, add, you're adding no. another day away from your husband, which oh. is you know, may or may not be a virtue, but it doesn't sound like it would be. So it's it's when I was traveling, uh, you know, I, I extended stays when I was in Hong Kong and things like that a long time ago. But but it's not the same thing when you're when you're married.
1: Um, yeah. Anyway. So, but my point is is that I just loved. You know, I love Safada while I had something to do with it. And now I don't, but I still love the industry, you know, and I knew that I could do. I mean, listen, I built a bunch of relationships and, you know, I, I developed good relationships and I met a lot of people and made a lot of contacts. I still know all of those people and have all of those relationships. And, you know, I just take it with me to my new position and keep working for the vapor industry that way.
0: Okay, so uh, let's just do a a cut to the chase segue here. I am in California. I'm very concerned about California. And at the time when Leno was, you know, Safada and and all the lobbyists, and I think Enjoy was part of it, but we won against Leno. And when I mean we, I'm saying that the Safada lobbyist and, you know, uh, those were the people that were actually talking and and all of that organization, all, all of the, I, I put out videos of 250 different vaping businesses, or at least people from those vaping businesses all, we won that. And then a special session was created and the special session, uh, created, uh, you know, the, the sun of uh, those things, the, where they could uh, come back at us. Um, and they did. And what they did is they were able to get the legal definition of tobacco changed. But at the same time of, in California, uh, at the same time that they were trying that, a group put together referendums. And then I read those referendums, and for people outside of California or not, a referendum is a law that is voted in a proposition by the people and that bypasses the all of the the legislature and um and they were working on it back then and then even though Leno won they, they still carried it forward so my understanding is that the prospects of of a, a large tax being applied to vapor products is coming along hidden inside of a large tax applied to cigarettes and I've watched the advertisements that are being run on the Olympics and things like that, uh, where they're saying it's a, it's just a usage tax, just like if you use the bridge a lot. So if you use the bridge a lot, and since smokers cost uh, money to our medical system, this is just a reasonable cost for the extra cost that the smokers are burdening, uh, are incurring, and so should they, those those smokers, just pay the cost, their fair share type of argument commercial, and they just completely ignore uh, smoking? Um, so my understanding, and, then, and this is the main reason I, I wanted to bring you on the show, is that uh, you are, are working on this now. Uh, so how are you doing that?
1: Um, well, I'll start by telling you that I only have about 10 minutes, and then I got to go, but thank you. Um, so how I'm doing it is that I am working on the no on 56 campaign. And the problem in California is that, yes, they are presenting it as like this usage tax. And there is this unfortunate, uh, condition in the United States where people look at smokers like it's their fault, you know, like why don't you just quit smoking or something like that. And there's no empathy, there's no compassion for smokers. And so California is playing on that. And that's how they're billing this thing, like, well, just bill them. They want to smoke. They should just pay for it, you know, type thing. And it's totally untruthful. And the problem is that Americans for Tax Reform did a calculation, and we're waiting to see if it's correct. I assume it probably is, because Paul Blair absolutely knows what he's doing. Um, Super sharp guy. But, you know, the range, the estimate of this tax is anywhere from 60 to 68 percent of wholesale. That's I mean, disastrous. I mean, we saw what happened in Pennsylvania with 40%, 60 to 68% in the Mecca, the largest you know, segment of, of where the vapor industry is located. It's devastating.
0: Right. So the, bef- that's what I am unclear on because I haven't re- – I, I read it last year uh, when it was being I, – I read it on the attorney general's website when it – I guess you have to pass it through the attorney general to, to start it going. It's been a while since I've read it. Is it – a consumer tax that that the tax is paid by the consumer or is it a manufacturing tax that, that it's taxed when the goods are sold uh for uh, it's a, when a, the
1: goods are sold so the retailers would be absorbing this 60 to 68 percent tax and it, they're not going to be able to pass that on to their customers because their customers will just go online and buy it and read and you know the retailers they can't afford it. It's a ridiculous number. It's so, absolutely ridiculous. So and, where,
0: where where does the tax? So it, say I'm a retailer and uh, and all of this is in place. So I've got a bottle that sells for twenty dollars. Do the normal uh, tax for California is nine something. So its normal tax is ten percent. Are they going to see another tax on their receipt for? Well,
2: this or,
0: is or will it or, or will the cost of that tax just be taken? Uh, in, in the price that the retailer buys from the manufacturer?
1: It's an increase, okay, from what they're paying now. Vapor's not paying anything now. So it's an increase and it will fall on the retailer. Whoever's buying it, if a distributor or wholesaler is buying it from the manufacturer, it's gonna fall on them. If they're selling it to a retailer, then the, you know it's gonna fall on the retailer and ultimately the customer.
0: But it only can get taxed once. It can't get taxed. That's what
1: I'm saying. If a manufacturer is selling it to a distributor, then the distributor, and by the way, I don't know that it can only get taxed once. You talk like you've got this inside with California and California was very unclear. When I was still with Safada, I met with the attorney general's office. I met with the governor's office. I met with the legislative analyst office. I met with the board of equalization all about this particular tax. And I can tell you, that they were very unclear about how they would apply this to vapor products.
0: So, well, I'm just I, saying that that when when a uh, a car when somebody sells a car at auction, the person that buys that car yes, at auction doesn't pay a tax, but it's, it's
1: going to be the retailers. The retailers are the ones that are going to absorb this.
0: Okay. So you only have 10 minutes, so I don't want to get too bogged down. So
1: now I've only got six. Okay. You only
0: got six minutes, so I don't want to get too bogged down. (laughs) So, so you're working on this campaign and I've been to that website. And so that's the main website. And uh, when I go down to the bottom, it says, uh, uh, you know, uh, RJR and Altria. Uh, So
1: they are, uh, they are major funders. And this is the thing, the new reality of, of the vapor industry is that we are gonna end up on the same side as Big T in a lot of things. And the fact of the matter is that we don't, we the vapor industry, we don't have the resources or the money to fight California by ourselves. And California has chosen to lump vapor products in with combusted cigarettes. So we find ourselves on the exact same side as Big T. And I will say, thankfully, they have the money to fight this.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, it, it, this the, the besides not having the money, we don't have the willpower either. Because I mean, I was following with not blowing smoke and, and that group and all the stuff with Leno, which was definitely uh, spearheading a lot of the stuff in California. I was aware of of this thing and I was reading it on the attorney general's page and all that stuff, and. You know, nobody even knows it's happening. Nobody even knows it's going. We're now 76 days or 77, 77 days away from the election, where this thing is going to hit, and nobody is aware of it. So I, like just about everybody else, has been really spending a ton of time on this freeze time and the and the de- deadline. I've I've got a, a you know uh, things to try and work on on the federal side. But at this point, uh, that's why I'm calling this the finale episode of season two of my podcast because I'm going about to shift this whole thing over to be really focused on protecting and I'm gonna call it because I don't like the word mecca. I want to call it the Silicon Valley of Vaping, which is Southern California, or we'll call it the Orange County of, of Vaping, uh or something, you know. Clearly California is is a key element of the vaping industry and these companies are not aware. They're not organized, and there, there about. There's no amount of money that can just be spent to get a politician to change their mind on this. This is going to be a public relations battle that takes place at the at the ballot box level, and so that's how we're going to need to get people to tell their friends of a friends of a friends to not vote for this stuff, uh, and that's something I'm very much interested in doing and helping with. And so that's going to be the focus of my podcast for the next 77 days. It's going to be predominantly talking about what this is and how to to solve it. So um, either I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to have you back on or uh, I can write you out questions and, and get them back that way. But I want, if, if I can use the podcast to spearhead this, I'll be happy to do it. Uh, but how... Yeah. When, when this stuff is being put out by the press releases by the billionaire that's funding this thing, he's saying – he keeps on talking about how the polls are so gigantically in favor of this tax and nobody knows that vapor isn't contained in it. How is that going how do we make it known that vapor has gotten lumped in?
1: So I've got five minutes. So we don't target the vapor industry. Okay. what we need is the vapors to expand the tent, grow the tent and get non-vapers to vote no. And the thing is that the messaging for non-vapers is not the same as the messaging for vapors. So in the series of meetings that we're having in California that are being um, advertised out there, the message is, hey, there's a 60 to 68 percent tax coming here about what we can do to avoid it. But then when they're there, we're going to talk about spreading the message to non-vapers. And the campaign has developed all this non-vapor messaging that can be used. Right. Um, so I will tell you that I have reached out to several big California companies and some of them have gotten back to me and others. It's just been crickets. So hopefully, you know, the ones that haven't bothered to get back to me or haven't had a chance to get back to me will do so because we need the messaging to go out far and wide. Um, you know, the last time this initiative came up, it was defeated narrowly, uh, which is in 2012, it was defeated by only 24,000 votes. So this is a really big deal. I wish we had spent more of the interview talking about California because it's just such a, a, cool, you know, whatever, um, project, but we do, we do need all the companies in California working on this. And I've also reached out to non-Californian companies that have a, a good stronghold in California and they're on board. So we just need to get everybody pulling in the same direction,
0: right? And and that's what I'm trying to do with this. That's why I'm calling in this for the finale. Some of the stuff, uh, stuff that that I've been following and tracking, like some of the stuff with what the FDA regulations mean, I, I've explained it to where I'm blue in the face to what it means. The next the next part is, uh, you know, it's it's going to be in the pudding, and and the proof will be in the tasting of it. What what will be uh what the fda actually does and so there's not a lot more meat left to do to even try and explain that but uh, we've got 77 days and we got the new clock i was focused on the 90 day clock now i'm going to focus on this so i'll be happy to have you back and whatever message in fact if you if you want to record it and uh, have me just play it if you're not going to be available I, I want to focus in on on saving the the silicon valley of uh of vaping so Um, I will get with you offline, uh, to do that. So I just want to, you know, thank you, uh, for doing this. I think it, I think you, you should, uh, I think I went over it in enough detail with you and you responded with enough candor to where I don't think you ever need to talk about this stuff again. I, and that was
1: never have to talk about it again. I
0: I think this, (laughs) I think this would be the definitive interview and you can point people to this if they want to uh, listen to it. And I don't, so hopefully, you know, uh, everybody is on the same team uh, and then some of these things are why why one there are too many organizations though so what, what you're what you're doing is very tactically based i like that um and so i think i think i'll just uh let you say how you want to say goodbye and i'll let you go i, I very much thank you and i'm sure uh people that listen to this will thank you for everything you've done uh within and and an exterior to safada over the many years uh because I think it's made a difference. And I think that if nothing else, the the most clear vaping win that is demonstrative and that can be shown was the OMB and the OMB saying, we've heard enough. We're not going to let the FDA uh, ban flavors. You're, you FDA have to cross that out. That was, that that's significant. And it's why the industry will be able to go uh, for more years uh, and I, and I'm going to blame it on you that you got that done. So, uh, I, I, and I think I'm a fair grader on this one. So thank you for that. Well,
1: I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I mean, listen, my, my whole goal, I love vaping. I love the industry. I love the potential that it's got. I mean, it's just very near and dear to my heart and you've been very kind. Thank you very much. Um, and I'd be happy to come back and talk about California cause that's a really pivotal state and it's super duper important. Um, and I'm going to keep fighting for the vapor industry. You know, I started my consulting business and I got, you know, clients like right away and it's all been great. And I'm going to keep pulling for the vapor space and I'm going to, I'm going to keep working at it. So I will, uh, talk to you about that the next time.
0: All right. Cool? Thank, thank you very much. And I will, uh, I'll get in contact with you. I appreciate it. Uh, as they like to say on these shows, there she goes, everybody, Cynthia Cabrera, uh, <laughs> and everybody should look at that site and that site is, uh, No on Proposition 56, right? Yep. And that's that's the full word. And uh, I think, uh, is there a Facebook group for that now?
1: There is. Um, Patrick from Halcyon has been like a rock star along with Doug Hughes. And, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the other guy's name, uh, who's also been just spectacular.
0: So we should start uh, messaging all of our friends uh, to uh, to, to like that thing.
1: Kevin Crowley has been amazing.
0: So, um, so we want everybody to like that page on Facebook, and until yes, and, and so that will be the that's going to be your most direct communication channel. Are you running that? Is that is that? He
1: made me an admin on it. Patrick made me an admin on it, so I can see stuff, and I've been answering. Okay, you know, so
0: stuff. that's that's I'm going of of the Facebook community of vaping. Uh, I'm a, I'm going to, and I hope other people will point people to that. So I'll send it out to all of my hundred friends or whatever I've got. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And we'll talk later. Uh, Bye. 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 Mitch Zeller say about whether or not what did he say
2: it needs to be made or derived from tobacco that is the statutory definition
0: so he he's saying it has to be made or derived from tobacco because that's the statutory definition and if it's outside of the statute then it's not part of the, uh, the it's just not it's not there
2: intended for use with a nicotine product uh, versus another distributor with the same exact product that is going to be marketing that uh, for non-nicotine usage and then also uh, if the FDA plans to do anything regarding non-nicotine e-cigarette liquid. Um, it's a good and complicated question and I would encourage you to, to point out those scenarios and, the, and what you see as the, as the implications for what the regulatory status of the finished product should be based upon a description of the potential scenarios, but all roads lead back to the statutory definition of a tobacco product. And ultimately, there has to be something there that is made or derived from tobacco. There can be a component that has no tobacco in it, has no nicotine in it. But if it winds up becoming a part of a finished product that otherwise meets the definition of a covered tobacco product, then it's, a, then it's a component and subject to regulation as a covered product. This is an awfully complicated area, especially when it comes down to the, literally the moving.
0: So what is going on there is if it is, he keeps on saying these phrases and, and it's so, because of the term covered tobacco product, it, it makes it confusing. And then, because they're only going to regulate finished tobacco products, and they they that a covered tobacco product is not necessarily subject to the same regulations that everybody's concerned about, and then there are components of covered tobacco products that will not be regulated because they're done in the supply chain of the manufacturer that is creating the ultimate finished goods tobacco product and the fda has said that it will not regulate the supply chain so you really have to dig in and read a lot of this stuff and i have uh and Other people have as well, but it is complicated uh, because of the terminology. And I've said this in other places that things become confusing by the way that the FDA uses the terms smoking, cigarettes, tobacco, and nicotine. They rotate those things around. So when they say cigarettes are bad, well, that's because it's smoking. And then they say uh, uh, smoking is bad because they're smoking cigarettes. Then they say nicotine is bad because they, they think it's smoking, but nicotine is not bad because it's akin to caffeine and the abuse potential of caffeine and nicotine are pretty much the same. And the addictive properties of nicotine and tobacco are pretty much the same. And if you want proof of that, go to New York city and look that on street corners, there's a Starbucks on one side of the street and another Starbucks on the other side of the street because it's so addictive that they don't want these people to cross the street because it would be dangerous for them to rush across the streets of New York to get their fix. And so Starbucks is trying to be safe and making their addictive caffeine product available in the safest manner possible. So... Um, I'm looking at the timer here and I've got seven minutes to go before this thing clicks down. But uh, let me just say is that why I'm doing some of this stuff is not to get the arrows in the back that I have. I mean, I think... uh, what is that that dinosaur a stegosaurus or something like that with all the the different ridges along its spine i've got so many arrows in my back i, I look like uh like i've got the, the plumage of a dinosaur uh and so i don't recommend doing all of this to uh, anybody uh because it's it is what it is but what I'm trying to do is I have an e-liquid line, and the e-liquid line is called We Vape, We Vote, and the intention of this liquid line is to uh, put it into vape shops and to provide vape shops various amounts of information uh, that normally a advocacy group may give them. Now, uh, I'm not going to charge anything uh, other than... Hopefully, if if this product were to be used in a vape shop, they would find that their customers wanted to reorder it because it's a good product. That's the intention of this. And, and part of the intention of the We Vape, We Vote eLiquid line is to be able to fund people, uh, if that were to all work out, now I don't know if it will even work out at all. The intention, like if there is a franchisor out there that has a whole bunch of vape shops and they're trying to get information on what they need to be able to tell their franchisees, I'm trying to do that. Trying to give a situation where the rubber meets the road. So I'm looking at this with five minutes, so I'll try and have to speed up the summary. So if you guys are interested in that e-liquid line, please uh, give me a call. Uh, this is my. Uh, uh, this is the uh, the the little. Uh, 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 the advertisement within all of this information. A- and if people are, are going to accuse me uh, of trying to make money off of this industry and off of Vapors, I will tell you right now that you are absolutely correct. I am trying to make money uh, from this industry and I want to charge Vapors for a product. So sue me. Uh, so here's the information. I've got 445. Let's see if I can do it in a coherent way. Uh There are people that are refusing services to 70-year-old grandmothers. There are people that are refusing uh, to build a coil for a guy that has one arm uh, and uh, they they take pictures of him uh, rather than help him out. There is no reason why your company cannot continue to build coils for every single one of your customers because building a coil is a repair and a repair is not covered by the Tobacco Control Act. It's acceptable to do. However, you may not feel that that is the case you may be uh, more risk adverse than to listen to that advice. So then the next advice I would give you if you want to build coils, you will have to register as a manufacturer with the uh, with the tobacco, uh, with the FDA. And once you do that, you will then be extended the continuing grace period of all the way up to August 8th, 2018. So you, if you want to build coils, Uh, Just uh, the safest thing to do is to just register as a manufacturer uh, before 31st and continue to do your business practice for the next two years. So when there's people like Shell Hamill from Safada telling you that you cannot build coils any longer, that's absolute Bullshit. And there's no reason that you shouldn't just simply register for the manu- as a manufacturer. What's the cost of being a manufacturer? Zero dollars. How much paperwork does it take? Not much. Uh, and, and you know, uh, maybe I'll, I'll try and go through and help uh, with what exactly that is, but not much. If you want to build coils, you got two years to do it. So all of these people, whoever that looked at that guy with one arm and decided to make him a Instagram picture rather than to help him. Uh, and and for whoever that those people are that I'm being told refuse service to a 70-year-old woman, there's no reason. You, you guys are, have turned yourself into uh, TSA agents that are shaking down little old women in, in uh, wheelchairs pretending they're terrorists. I've got two minutes here. Uh, and so what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to break it and then uh, I'm going to reboot it. Let me try and re- rebuild it here. Uh, the first thing I just went through was uh, what you should do as a tobacco manufacturer. Maybe I should try and say it again without going so fast and then rebuild it. Uh, the rules for building coils are all premised upon the assumption that you would suddenly become a tobacco manufacturer and then have to create a PMTA. I disagree with all all of that. I do not believe that building a coil makes you a manufacturer and because uh, the FDA has said that it, it's acceptable to do a repair to a product. If a customer walks in with their own product that's owned by them and they ask you to put a coil on it, by definition, you are repairing that item. It is not functioning to the customer satisfaction it is in a state of disrepair in the mind of that customer and in reality and so when they say i would like this to have a new coil that is a repair and a coil is a wear item they wear out it, it's a replaceable thing so the equivalent of a brake shop is a very good thing because Brakes and tires are wear items. They are expected to d- diminish over time and need replacement, as does a coil. So uh, it is a service. And what I'm saying is that you should all believe that and you should all recognize that because it's the truth. It is not bullshit. You can only... a, a installation of a new coil at whatever damn ohms you want to put it at is a repair. An example I gave before is that if you have, uh, uh, if you want to have new brakes put on, you can either put on uh, your, your standard organics, or you can also put on your uh, your uh, ceramics. And if you want to put on a ceramic brake, uh, you know there's there's downsides to that. You get your ceramic dust, which is a hassle. Uh, you got to wash your rims more often, but it's it's a different functioning. Item, it it works in a different way. It has different properties. One ceramic, one is organic. Uh, they have different, but it's still a repair. So uh, what I'm saying is, you don't have to do anything. You, you can just keep on putting in those new coils, filling up those tanks, doing all of that stuff. You are not a manufacturer. And a rebuild manufacturer, a manufacturer that rebuilds is somebody that is is rebuilding the caliper. So they, they take that core, they take out all the old seals, and they put new seals, and then they sell that as a remanufactured part. There's a definition for remanufactured parts. That, that And it's it, just like a uh, retread. A, a, a retread tire has is, is been remanufactured. So I, I believe uh, there's a question that was asked that's often pointed to uh, on the FDA webinar where the question comes in, what if a customer brings a batch of parts over to me drops off a couple boxes of parts and then wants me to start manufacturing all those things and then uh give them back to the customer and then the customer will sell them well if you're doing all that manufacturing but with a bucket load of parts dumped off to you by a customer yeah you're a manufacturer you're a contract manufacturer now who you know you can start to debate of who is who's going to be the end seller of those products uh you know but essentially you're going to be like an e-liquid manufacturer. You're going to, They're going to dump off all the ingredients and then you're going to hand them back the assembled final bottle of e-liquid and then you're a manufacturer of that e-liquid. That, that's, you know, you, that's what that question sounded like to me. So that question has caused confusion. So what I'm saying is rebuild the coils and uh, if a 70-year-old lady comes in there, uh, rebuild her damn coil you assholes, you fucking assholes, rebuild the woman's coil, please. And don't take pictures of people that, that have, uh, you know, lost their, their forearm in their hand and stick it up on Instagram and think you're doing anybody a favor. And I, I keep on hearing more stories of this. And I've heard a story now, uh, and it's not just a story. I've seen a person has now reported a their competitive vendor over to the FDA for building coils. It's been done. I've lo- They took a screenshot of what they submitted to the FDA. It, you know, vapor versus vapor, vape shop versus vapor. It's happened, right? So, uh, you know, what do you think the FDA is going to do with that? I think they're going to look at it and go, oh, these, these idiots. Uh, next. And they'll look for something else. They'll just, you know, they'll shrug their shoulders and go, "I, I don't know what we can do with these people." But uh, they think th- they think we're going to go after them for for taking a piece of wire and curling it around a screwdriver. Yeah, that's it's pretty damn pathetic. Do they know that it's related to the e liquids itself? No, they don't. So, so, they're just going to ignore you, uh, is what I believe. Now, again, uh, you know, this is advice, and uh, you sh- should take it for what it's worth. these are my views. They are studied views, but I am not a retained lawyer. If you want to get a retained lawyer and get this advice, that's fine. But I think because the FDA is putting this information out in a way that is going to be understood by small business, that I, as a small business, can fairly interpret these things, and the FDA is going to make it available to be fairly interpreted and that the FDA is just not going to go off and go slugging vape shops for no apparent reason. And if they were going to go and start beating up on vape shops, they're not going to beat up on these little mom and pop shops. They're going to beat up on uh, Mad Vapes, which is a franchisor. They're going to beat up on, uh, you know, some of these other uh, you know, uh, I think there's alt, alt smoke is a franchisor there. There's, uh, there's franchisers out there. The franchisers are going to get hit first. Now, here's something that's interesting to know is that, uh, th- that these franchisers and these franchisees, they are probably getting better information than me. Uh, they're, they're having lawyers look at this stuff better than me. Uh, you know, so if you want to follow the lead of somebody, uh, and not use the bad information that safada and vta and some of these uh, other groups are putting out uh if you don't if, if you don't want to listen to me uh, i'm giving you an alternate source of recommendation of a source of information talk to a franchisee of, of somebody and find out what they're doing and and you know I'm, I'm talking off the cuff right here there's a chance that i just screwed myself that those franchisees are getting a different information than me uh, and so I might have just defeated myself. I don't care because I'm just trying to, to put out good information for, for people that carry the Wevo Vape, we Vape line of liquids or whatever. I'm just trying to put out good information. So that's one way. Now, that's one path. What I'm saying, and that's the most the most risky path, and what I'm saying is that if what I just said is false and I'm incorrect, that the ramifications of that is that the fda walks in sees what you're doing says oh my god you're building you're 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 making curly cues out of uh canthal wire oh my god uh here's your warning letter uh the warning letter sells you to not do it anymore and you better not do it anymore and here's your zero dollar fine so that's the cost of 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 the downside if i'm wrong and that's reality." I can say all of those things are all true. One is my recommendation. That's what I've said. That's true. One is that they don't touch you. In one scenario, they don't touch you. That, that's true. The second is that they do uh, claim that it's a big problem. And what happens if they claim it's a problem is that they give you a warning letter and that warning letter has zero uh, penalty to it, although it counts as a violation. So you better after they give you that violation react, but you should not react right now. So that's everything I just said is true. I'm hundred percent comfortable with that, and I, and, I, and you can you can poke as many holes in this thing, and it's not it's it's going to hold water. This is it's like ice. Uh, that, that I I think it's absolutely solid. Solid as an ice. It it, it will hold water, uh, and you're not going to melt it. Now. That's one path. That's the one that has more risk. But then then the next path for the same item is that you say, oh my God, uh, the FDA is telling us that uh, we have to be a tobacco manufacturer if we're going to make coils. What the shit are we going to do? And now what other people have told you is, oh, like Safada has told you, yo, you better not do it. Don't do it now. Stop doing that. And they're having vape shops stopping building coils and that's bad advice from safada bad safada and whoever else is giving that advice is bad bad advice so if you believe that by wrapping a coil or doing this you know these little tiny things with vaporizers makes you a manufacturer i'll say number one you're wrong but i'll say number two okay fine you're right you're now a manufacturer Why would you stop what you need to, why, why on earth, if you, if you want to believe you're a manufacturer, then do it, continue to build those coils and be a manufacturer, put on your little hat that says, I'm a tobacco manufacturer, you know, put on that flat brim crap and then just own it and accept it. So what does it take to be a tobacco manufacturer? Does it take a registration fees? Apparently not. No, it doesn't. Does it take registering with the FDA? Yep, it does. How much does that registration cost? Zip. When does that have to be done? It has to be done by uh, December thirty first of this year to continue to get your two year grace period. Well, so if you register by uh, uh, by uh, you know you register by uh, December thirty first, what's the next thing you have to do? Well, you're gonna have to push off your your ingredients. Uh, by on August eight uh, on August eighth, twenty seventeen, you're going to have to give your ingredients over to the FDA. So you're going to go. My ingredient is Canthal. That's or if you're you know if you're building nickel coils, which I hope you're not doing because nickel is not a safe product. If you're building nickel coils. And the reason why I say nickel is because it loses mass in the properties. It, it, Nickel coils have been shown in vaping to lose mass when they're vaped. That nickel's going somewhere, folks. So, uh, you know, it's an allergen. Uh, so... Uh, your build your your ingredients would be stainless steel, canthal, nichrome. Uh, you, I suppose you could uh, you could even give them the the components of uh, nickel and chrome. I guess uh, you know, or you can say I think with, with metallurgy that when you combine metals, it actually becomes a, that alloy has different properties than all the raw components of the of the of the metals that go into it. But you know, so basically you have to say here are my ingredients. It's metal. And you're done. You're done all the way up until uh, August 8th, 2018. So who, when, when Shell Hamill told all you fools to go ahead and stop doing this right now, what she neglected to tell you, and she's an owner of nine vape shops, so you know shame on her for not telling you. Uh, what, it, what, what she could have told you is that if you want to build coils... And you want to be super darn safe, register as a manufacturer and then keep on doing it for two bloody full years and leave the 70 year old women alone right now and work with them for two bloody years. Now, there's a whole bunch of different avenues and possibilities that could happen in two years. Uh, You know, we might get better information. We might have, uh, you know, uh, there might be uber clarification to where this is one way or the other. But for two years, and I'm going to say at this point that this is all that needs to be said that, you, that you, don't, you can continue to build coils with pure safety. This is a truth. You can continue to build coils because you are going to be a tobacco manufacturer. You have to register by December 31st. Then you get all the way, after you label your ingredients off on August 8th, 2017, you get all the way to August 8th of 2018 before you have to do anything, anything different. So that's enough, isn't it, that you can continue to, to build coils for two full years. And that's the risk adverse model. The risk, the one that has slightly, you want to take on the risk of a zero dollar penalty and not registering with the FDA. Yeah, go ahead and just continue to do it because it doesn't make any sense. Now, here's the thing. Uh, what is the downside if you don't want to register with the FDA because you're worried about registering with the government? I can see that. I can understand that somebody would have that logic. I don't want to give any information out. I want to be as private as I can. I'm a private business. I pay my taxes. I don't want to register with the FDA. That's all valid. But then there, there becomes a decision point on December 31st of this year whether you want to go ahead and just fork over an application, even though it makes no sense. Uh, Not not an application, but a registration with the FDA. So let's go over what the downside of registering with the FDA is. Uh, One is that they know you exist. Well, so what? And uh, in this case, so what? Uh, And and the other option is that if you don't register, you... uh, there's a chance that they could they could come after you so I think that even this is what I would do if you know if I was in that exact position as you guys you're a vape shop I'm a vape shop we're vape shops I would uh, continue to build coils all the way through Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving I'm going to come back and I'm going to go okay it's getting near December 31st I need to make my decision Am I going to register with the with the government as a manufacturer or not? And there'll be better information there. And then I feel pretty comfortable saying right now, registering with the government. Uh, it, you know, I'm giving you a full month to to be able to to scramble together to get your application in before the 31st. There you go. That's what I would do. I don't know. I think I would. I think almost in all cases. I, I think right now I'd probably. I don't know what I would. I'm not sure. I, I I I was about to say I would just go ahead and register as a manufacturer, but you know what? Maybe I don't want to do that. I'm not sure what I want to do. I I, I might want to take the risk. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. But what I'm saying is that everybody, the safest thing you can do for your business and your business model and the and the sanity of yourself and your customers is to continue to build coils all the way through Thanksgiving and then make a decision if you're going to register with the FDA. And then if you register with the FDA, you have to do a few other, you know, little, little tiny little things, and then you're good to go all the way up to August 8th, 2018. And then if you want to file a PMTA, that would be a funny PMTA, wouldn't it? Here is my. Uh, here is what my uh, my tobacco product is. It's metal. Uh, you know, what 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 is the uh, what is it? You know uh, what what's the safety things? Well, don't stick that metal wire up your nose, right? You don't want to stick the wire up your nose, and you don't want to eat the wire, uh, and then you don't want to uh, vape the wire. You know you, you want to use the wire, uh, but not consume it up inside the vape. It's pretty simple. So that. That covers coils. That also covers squirting stuff into your tank. You know, people are saying, "Well, if you squirt something into a tank, you're suddenly manufacturing." Uh, and and then if uh, if I take out a coil from a package and I and I unscrew their their Nautilus tank and I screw in a Nautilus coil, suddenly I'm a manufacturer. It's amazing. I don't understand the FDA. Oh my God! If you're worried about all of those things, then the the answer is clearly register as a manufacturer and keep on doing all of that stuff. For two years, fill up your customer, help your customers out, build the coils because you're you're you've, you're you're Joe Pro manufacturer now. You've got two years of grace, two full years of grace period, and uh, minus two weeks. We want to k- stay current, you know. it's two years minus ten days, uh, and you're good to go. So that's what you should do. Now, uh, I have heard horror stories about vape shops that have taken the advice of Safada, National Safada. They've listened to Shell Hamill. They've listened to Cap O'Rourke. They've listened to Dimitri. They've listened to some of these other people. Uh, and, and they have decided, well, shit, I want to stop building coils. And what's happened to those people is they've lost business. And that I've said that in the last show. You do not want to preload that risk. And in the last show, it was theoretical. I've now gotten confirmations that uh, one vape shop has lost twenty-five people have walked in over a week and said, "I want my coil built," and they turned them away. They and and those guys went to the other shop, and you know when they drove into that other shop, they slammed their fucking thing down and going, "I want my, uh, I want you to build a coil on my on my rig here," you know. Are, are you going to do it? And the guy goes, what do you mean? Are you, you going to beat me up or are you going to pay me? And they go, no, I'm not going to beat you up. I want to, I'm going to pay you. I, I'm going to pay you and I'm going to taste your e-liquids. And they're going to oh, always, yes, of course we're going to build your coil. Why would you think otherwise? And then your customer that you just rejected is going to go, because I was just down at uh, at Louie's vape shop and Louie told me to fuck off and told me he wasn't going to build my coil. And I said, shit, I, I want my coil built. And he said, oh, something about the FDA. And then the the new vape shop isn't going, go, Oh, no, you're kidding me and he's going to laugh to himself inside and then he's going to try and be as you know, he's going to go, oh yeah, those guys are the biggest fucking assholes in the world. Fucking, I can't believe you, you still go into that shop? Nobody goes into that shop. I get their customers all day long and it's not just coils. Those fuckers are assholes all the way around. It's not just the fucking coils. They're fucking with you. They're fucking with you. Come back to my shop the next day. Tell you what? special because you were treated so badly from a uh, another representative of the industry. Tell you what? 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 Today, just for you, fucking 10% discount. Fuck, fuck that all. I'm going to build this coil for you free. And then next time I'll catch you on the next time. If you want to, if you want to buy another coil build from me, I'll catch you the next time. But dude, I'm sorry you were treated that way come back again this this coil is complimentary and that guy's just earned your customer fair and square and uh and, and you've just lost your customer that shit is happening from these guys that are you know and i don't know maybe we want to have these little uh you know it is a competitive environment this is an industry you are competing against your fellow vape shops and so one thing uh, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit of a whore tonight, folks. Uh, I am uh, trying to put an e-liquid out that gives vape shops advice. But I don't want any money. I just want you to carry my product line. We Vape We Vote. You can contact me at wevapewevote.gmail.com I'm uh, sorry, at gmail.com or vapingindustry at gmail.com Ed Wolf is a fucking asshole and he's trying to make money from vapors in the industry. Beep! Uh, so, uh, that's that's one item. Uh, the next item uh, is zero nicotine samples. That was most of what we, uh, we, we sold today. I mean, to, next item is zero nicotine samples. And that's most of what we were talking about today. So, what is my recommendation for you, dear vape shops? Is that uh, there's two paths that are absolutely safe. And, and one of them has slightly different risk, uh, but they're, I, I believe that they're both safe. So, number one is that zero nicotine e-liquids are not a tobacco product. So, uh, you can let customers come into your store and vape them, zero nicotine e-liquids, without charging them. That is in your rights as a vape shop. However, let's not get crazy with this, folks. If somebody comes into your vape shop and they want to use any of your equipment or, or if they want to touch any of the equipment, and frankly, if they want to sit down on your couch and they look like they're under 26-year-old, you're going to go, hey, guy, how's it going? Welcome to my shop. Are, are, you, are you even 18 yet? And the guy goes, oh, yeah, I'm 18. I'm well, right now, Marty told you earlier in the show is that they're allowed to lie to you. These sting operations, they will lie to you. However, they will not show you a fake ID. I looked this shit up. Uh, so you're going to go, okay, but you look pretty young. I'm sorry, but uh, I, I just need to see your ID. And the guy goes, oh, well, okay, here's your ID. You know, if the guy's young and he's that age and you're telling him that, he, that you need to look at his ID, then he's fine. So you look at his ID, you card the guy. And then he's going to go, well, you know, now you see I'm actually 30 years old, asshole. But I, you know, then he's going to go, but you know. I look young, you know, so, so he's happy that, uh, that, you know, he looks like there's no harm, no foul for a guy getting carded. And especially, uh, you know, when, when people are in that, 21 uh, year old, you know, there's nothing, nothing more happy than a 20 year old that gets to pull out his ID and says, look, you asshole, I'm 21 in California. That's required for vape shops. Now they have to be 21. So, uh, so then when they come into your vape shop, you make sure you card them. There's no way they get near anything if they're not of age. Anything. And frankly, if it's, you know, the only people that should be in your shop are people that are older eight older than 18. So if, if it's like a, a super hot day, you're going to let some people in there because they're, they're adults uh, and the kids are in the back there and you're going to let them stay in your air-conditioned shop because you don't want them in the car. But basically, it's, it's like a bar. Unless they're 18 uh, and up, uh, they're not even supposed to be in your store pretty much. And so the guy goes, then I'd, okay, so I've proved to you that I'm uh, 18, uh, and, uh, or the applicable state law. Uh, I'd like to vape some of this stuff. I'd like to try your flavors. And the guy goes, great. Well, these are all zero Nick. Uh, you can try them all. And the guy goes, well, shit, what, what I'd really like to taste is three is my strength, and uh, I'd like to vape, uh, I'd like to taste it in three. And then what you go back is go, well, dude, uh, we would have to charge you if you wanted to do that. Uh, and, you know, to keep it simple is we don't offer uh, any nicotine sampling in my store, our store, the store. We don't offer it. And we just keep it simple that way. But, you know, at three milligrams, it's not like you're going up to 12 because, you know, if you went up to 12, yeah, the shit could, you know, as I'm saying, at 12, uh, Nick, uh, it can start to really fuck up the flavor. But at three, the difference between three and zero, come on, you know, it's so the guy's going, okay, I get it. I get it. So, uh Am I supposed to pay you uh, to taste it? And he goes, no, no, fucking, this is not even tobacco. This is just fucking, this is just raw, raw vape. Uh, it, and, and and tell you, I'm really, really particular about this. I've got everything here. When I fill these things up, I make so fucking sure that I'm not using Nick. I mean, there's, these things are all virgin vaporizers. They've never seen nicotine. They've never fucking seen nicotine. It's all, so you can do all of that. And the guy fucking vapes the stuff. And uh, lo and behold, he says, great, I'll buy some some of your product uh cool cool and and the the deal is done and when you know he's already been carded you've already asked to look at his license you're clean you're good you haven't let him uh you know you've not given him a free sample of nicotine uh, of a nicotine product of a tobacco product and you've carded him so you've avoided two things right there you've avoided serving somebody that's under 18 and you've avoided uh giving away a free sample now uh, some people are going to be like totally conservative, and I, I understand that. Uh, so they're going to say, actually, uh, I don't want to fuck around with the whole zero nick thing. I already, I already go with zero nicotine in my store. We just, we just because you know we don't know how much these people are going to vape. That's the reason why uh, stores, uh, you know, for the for the FDA that's listening right now, uh, the reason why people actually put. Really, honestly, zero nicotine in their samplers is because if you're tasting a whole bunch of stuff, you don't want the nicotine in it because you could get over nicked. Nicotine is a self-limiting thing. You don't you don't want to vape a lot of nicotine, uh, and that's why cloud chasers don't use nicotine often because they don't want to get have that so much nicotine in their body. So yes, it's it's zero nicotine for a reason. It's designed to be that way. So somebody it's like a, it's like a winery. When somebody goes at tasting at a winery, they have buckets and people literally spit out the wine. We don't wanna we don't wanna do that with nicotine, doesn't the same thing, but the same principle as a wine tasting. So yeah, so you've you've got your zero nicotine samplers all set up. That's the way you're already you already roll that way. So what you want to do is that you want to be super safe. So you want to charge a fucking quarter, uh, for when they come into your shop. And, uh, what you're going to do is use my advice, use uh, Ed Wolf's advice and say, sell them a little, uh, uh you know, a, for a quarter, uh, they get their little, uh, uh Uh, silicon sealed in a thing drip tip and then once they have that they can then sample all of the different uh samplers that you want for as long as they fucking want until you kick them out of the store they can they can hang out there forever you know uh for all you care and whatever you care is what goes it's your store so uh then he then he's like sampling away and uh and then you've charged him that money now what I'm saying, and I said in the last show, is that people like Shell Hamill a fucking again is telling you and and, and actually it was uh, Kevin Skipper there too. They're telling you, oh look, you've got to uh, you you've got to uh, suddenly uh, charge them that money up front. you you've got to you got to make that receipt up front and And what I'm telling you is that there's no reason that you need to do that. You need to charge them. And when you charge them, you need to card them before they touch anything. And once you card them, then you've covered that base, and then you need to charge them. So you explain to them, I'm going to be charging you for these samples. Now you're already protected because there's zero nicotine samples, and that's not even a tobacco product. But you you want an extra layer? You want layers of protection? So you're going to charge them a nickel anyway? Uh, sorry, a quarter anyway. So then the, then you say you're going to, you, dude, you're on the hook for fucking twenty five cents. You better not bolt out of my store and rip me off after you taste this stuff. And the guy's like. Yeah, obviously it's sarcastic, right? He's not going to fucking sample for 25 cents and fucking book on you. Uh, so uh, then uh, then he, he knows he's on the dime for, he, he's on the quarter for uh, 25 cents. And so then he samples away and then, then he says, fine, I want to buy this one. I want to buy it with nicotine. And then uh, you go, fine here, we charge you up. And then you have a couple of options here. You can either say, uh, you know, uh, There's the 25 cents on your receipt and that's for the drip tip. And the the only reason we sell these drip tips uh, is for, is because we use them for sampling. There's no other time we sell that drip tip. It's not an item that we sell. So every time I see 25 cents as a charge, I always know it's a drip tip because there's nothing else in my store that is ever anytime 25 cents. Always, always, always is it a drip tip for tasting. So you don't even need a fucking line item. You just need the guy to punch in 25 cents. And then you're covered that way, too. Or you can stick a line item in your POS system for a drip tip for tasting. You're covered that way. And then uh, then there's a couple more options. You know, this is your cafeteria-style uh, solution. Then, if you want to, you can say that, uh, uh, that, there, that you know, have, you have a big sign, a banner that's across your thing. This week only, uh, it says that uh, uh, 25 cents off your first bottle of e-liquid. Uh, you know, and it applies for all your purchases. So, uh, and then, uh, and then, or you can make, hey, you can make it 50 cents. And so you're going to double their money back. Uh, So you have it 25 cents off your first uh, e-liquid this week only. And you can tell because the sign has been there for so long, it's been tattered. That sale never ends. So uh, you can give them back the 25 cents on on a wink and a nod. Uh, But, you know, it's not even a wink and a nod. It's actually... You can do it if you want to. I'm just saying, if you want to give him his quarterback because you think that's going to be upsetting, uh, you can do that. There's any different number of ways to skin that cat. So that so right now, I think that that's a complete solution. I think that's absolutely safe. Uh, that and, and then the next scenario, I suppose, is that you actually have nicotine in your samplers. Well, if you've got nicotine in your samplers that, uh, that you... Uh, if you've got nicotine in your samplers, then you have to charge a charge. But as we learned, heard from Azim, and, and as, as finally, I believe, uh, uh, Kevin Skipper has now acquiesced to, is that you do not need to have the charge be based in some sort of reasonableness. There's no evidence that it has to be reasonable. It just has to be a charge. And I can play, hey, maybe I can do it. Uh, I can do it right here. I think it's still queued up. Uh, where there's, there's the, uh, the lady at the FDA, uh, it's not queued up. The lady at the FDA basically gets the question and I swear she's a very nice lady, but she almost, almost cracks up at the question. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm reading into it, but she gets, gets asked the question. If I charge for a sample, is it still considered a free sample? And as straight faced as she can, she says, No, if you're charging for a sample, it would not be then considered a free sample. Duh. Uh, So uh, I think that I think the whole sampling thing is covered. So, first, my recommendations for the coils and and, and accessories, uh, you know, like installing a pre built coil uh, and. and then filling up e-liquids, and then helping out your... So we, we've talked about the coils, we, and Then now my, I've, I've given my advice as far as the zero e-liquids, uh, you know, the zero... Uh, you know, whether or not sampling of zero e-liquids is, is okay or not. Next, let's... Uh, you know, I'm going to leave the vape shop, but there's one other item I want to cover in the vape shop, but I don't... I, I want to stay on this theme and go over to the expos. Hey, expo operators, if you want to... Uh, have your expos you can have your expos just exactly the way they have always been you can make zero changes to your expo you can charge whatever you want at the gate you can charge whatever your uh... you want to charge to your booth operators and your booth operators uh... can uh... can do whatever they want at that except you have to have one simple rule and the one simple rule is that every single taster has to be zero nicotine, every single one. And that if you find out that somebody is trying to spike the juice with nicotine as a taster, that they're going to lose, it. you're going to shut down their booth and you're going to throw them out of the store. I'm pretty sure, guys, that uh, everybody's going to be okay with this. They're going to go, fine, well, uh, Hey Joe, Joe, it's no change, uh, no change. Uh, uh, the samplers just stay the same way. Uh, he's insisting that they be zero nick. Yeah, they're already the same. Yeah, they're already they're already set up for zero nick. So everybody uh, s- does their zero nicotine sample. Everything's the same, no change. Now that runs the risk, the big time, big time risk of uh, the whole operation getting a warning letter. Thou shall not, right? Here's your warning, here's your fine. If you do it again, I'm coming back at you, and that time I'm gonna be serious, because the maximum penalty is gonna be two hundred and fifty bucks. But they're gonna give you that warning first, because that's what they do. And it's perfectly reasonable that the first time a show gets hit, that the show is gonna go, Really? We fucking had no clue. The best information we had is that this was okay. Gee, FDA we're we're sorry we blew it we fucked up we got your warning letter we're gonna toe the line after this and we're not gonna do that anymore and then everybody's still good right i mean it's not like uh everybody anybody's gone crazy or anything everybody's still the cop walk up to you and said hey you're fucking jaywalking don't do it and the guy goes oh shit you know i'm sorry And the cop says hey I'm going to give you a warning here, but if I see you doing it again, I'm going to fucking ticket your ass, and I'm going to be serious that time. And you say to the cop, okay, fine, Uh, you got me. Uh, I won't do it again. You're not going to do it again. So anyway, that show is safe. All the shows can continue to go on as normal. However, as the vape shop, you might want to use the same protocol because you want to be super darn safe. So you're going to go, I've got my rules set up. And everybody, it has to be zero nicotine samples. Everything has to be zero nicotine, but we want to charge. And then uh, one of the other things I forgot in the zero nicotine example is that everybody coming into that zero nicotine only show uh, where you're not charging anything for samples has going to be carded at the door, you're gonna card everybody for the legal age. So in California, that means that nobody under 21 gets into the shows in California anymore. Whatever the legal age of that state is. So you're gonna card everybody. We'll say 18 again. You're gonna to card to make sure that everybody in that place has has been carded, and they don't get in unless they've been carded, every single person. And uh, what you can do is you can give a wristband out uh and so uh, that wristband will be an indication to any of these uh, vendors that when they're giving samples out that that person has been checked now uh you could even have if you have a good tight t- security at the door when you uh you know, i'm trying to think if you should actually cut off the band when people leave but screw that i think that's covers it enough uh so then the second example is that you guys want to be super careful so that you want to have everybody zero nick but you want to charge some amount. Well, how do you do that? Well, you can charge them at the door. You can say, here, the price of admission includes sampling at booths. The, you are being charged, and you, you sign it, you are being charged with $1 uh, for sampling at all the booths uh, at this thing. Any any purchasing of any e-liquids uh, at the booth uh you will be required to show your id to the uh the, you know your your uh your driver's license at the booth to anybody taking money if they're going to give you a nicotine sample you could even as a show promoter you could require upon the booths that if they're taking money that somebody flashes their uh, a double check to show that they've been carded it's a safe thing i think everybody'll be down with that uh, and then anything, so so you charge a buck at the door. That's one way of doing it. The other way to do it is that you, uh, what you do is you use tokens, uh, which I was saying. So you you walk in the place and the guy, they they give you uh, some sort of paper cut out tokens or a punch card, and that when you go in there, uh, the show the show gives you X amount of samples, and say uh, that that card can take a hundred different puffs. So for for $1 you get you get the card and that card means that you have uh, you've, you've paid for your alcohol you I mean you've paid for your uh you've paid for your vape or you can do it any number of ways but the point is that you do not have to charge $15 you don't have to charge uh, an amount that you think is is uh passes the sniff test you just have to uh to charge legal US tender or coin that's all you have to do. So in, in this case for the vape expo, you have two walls of protection. Number one, you're not using any nic- nicotine in your samplers. You're not using tobacco products. Number two is that you're, you're uh, charging some sort of amount for the service of being able to taste these things. And it doesn't, it can be whatever number you want, a buck, 25 cents, Although it seems like a buck is just, like, how much should it charge to get in? A buck. Um, you know, a buck. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's that's the whole reason why we call it a buck. Because it's a buck. Uh, and so a buck seems good for a whole show. Um and then you're done with the shows. So we've covered uh, those. We've t- covered coils. We've t- talked about uh, e-liquid vaping uh, inside of shops and e-liquid vaping inside of expos. And both of those e-liquids are just e-liquids that are not tobacco products because they have zero nicotine. The last item uh, is uh, what what can you say as a vape shop? I saw this one guy who uh, put... Uh, tape around his mouth and said, "Censored by the FDA." So what this guy's policy of doing is, and I and, and I don't know. I think Safada is telling people to do this. I honestly think that Safada is telling people to put tape across their mouths and say, "Oh look, you you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't even talk to your customers about the virtues of the product. That you, you're muzzled. You can't tell them that it's a good product." Here's what you need to know is that you can absolutely talk about the virtues of the product. You cannot, as a manufacturer, make marketing and health claims in marketing and advertising. You can't do that as a manufacturer. I'm not talking to the manufacturers right now. I'm talking to the vape shops. And or the Expos. In this case, the vape shops and the Expos are the same damn thing, right? Same, same people. Well, no, I take that back. The, the, you better be fucking careful at, at, a, uh, at a vape show because you are the manufacturer. So take everything I just said about uh, this item for Expos and withdraw it. This is only for vape shops. And it's only for vape shops that don't make their e-liquids. And I'll cover, I guess I'll go back and I'll cover both those ones uh, uh, at the end. But so you're a vape shop and a customer comes in and you, and you go, uh, uh, the, the customer says, uh, can this stuff actually help me quit smoking? And you can go, yeah, a lot of my customers say that it's helped them quit smoking. You can say that. Uh, ne- next question is, is this stuff safer than smoking? And you go, well, uh, I'm not going to make any... Uh, total claims for you, but I can tell you one thing is that, uh, have you seen all of those studies about how just bad smoking is, right? You know how bad smoking is, right? Have you seen any studies about this vapor stuff telling you how bad it is? Cause I haven't seen them. I've seen them where they speculate that it could be bad, but I I haven't seen any evidence that this stuff is bad yet. Now, what I just said, because I'm doing this on the fly, that's super aggressive. So maybe I'd peel that off, but I I certainly could say it. And one thing, uh, what I really should back it off to is I could say something like, well... Uh, these vapor products have no tar and no combustion. And tar and combustion are the things that are the, absolutely the most dangerous about smoking, and these two items don't have either. So if you're asking me to compare a cigarette to something that has tar and combustion and all that extra heat, uh, and you've talking about something that doesn't have it, I think the of the virtues of these two tobacco products is that this tobacco product is clearly the better choice for my consumers. And I'll recommend this vapor product over uh, this other tobacco product all day long because I can tell you that it doesn't have tar, it doesn't, won't smell up your clothes, and uh, you know uh, I can even tell you that uh, here's a report from the uh, Royal College of Physicians and, and they're saying that it's 95% safer. So uh, you can say all of that as a vape shop. You can tell your customers all of that. You can explain and talk to them all. You can't make, you can't say that uh, it's uh, it, it, it that if you use this product, uh, you know it's going to cure cancer. You can't make medical representations like that. But I think the whole term sensation, quitting a legal product as a, being called out as a health claim, as far as, as far as I can tell, has never been tested in the courts whatsoever. Uh, so uh, quitting a product and saying that the, the 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 act of quitting smoking is a health claim doesn't even make sense on paper so you can make you can be communicative with your customers about the virtues of these products if you're gonna put it up on your website That could be construed as advertising. If you're going to put it up on on the outside of your store, that could be construed as marketing. So you have to be careful about those things. But as far as the conversational aspects, we've got people that are saying that stings are going to happen. People are going to go in there and ask, uh, hey, uh, is this safer? And they're going to go and your your, uh, clerk is going to say, well, yeah, it's safer and that they're going to, at that point, the ATF runs in with their weapons drawn and, 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 and throws your clerk down the ground and says, you're, you're arrested, asshole. They're people that are just making up these things. Now, on this one, yeah, I, I just want to say that, that what I know you can advocate for is that you can advocate that they replace, and the emphasis on the word is replace, Displace the cigarette, replace the cigarette, throw the cigarette away, and instead use this tobacco product because this tobacco product is a superior vape. You can say all of that, but you can't stick it in a magazine and say stuff like, uh, you know, uh, uh, and so that's my recommendations. Uh, And I think they're absolutely solid and uh, the show will go on.